Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba. The deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims, so we should definitely pause, take a breath, and think about our options. We are really excited once again to have Chris Metzler in the studio, Associate Director of Programming for Doc Fest, which is happening its 18th San Francisco Doc Festival, May 29th through June 13th. You can visit sfindy.com. Good morning, Chris. How are you? Good morning, Wanda. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, yeah. It's been, gosh, has it been a year since we last spoke? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> We've been uh, knee deep and uh, lots of uh, submissions, so. Lots of uh, viewing in the in dark room and uh, now kind of excited to kick off the festival and uh, make it all live. <laughs> right, right. Well, let me um, refresh our listeners' um, uh, memories with your your qualifications, and then we can talk about how many films did you wade through to come up with this fabulous program and how many films are in this current program. So after graduating from USC with a degree in business and cinema, um, your film career has taken you from the depths of agency work to coordinating post-production for awful American movies seen <laughs> late at night in Belgium. Your filmmaking work has resulted in your crisscrossing the country with the aid of caffeinated beverages, all the while making your way in the Nashville country and Christian music video industries before finally forsaking your soul to commercial L.A. rock and roll. Wow, that sounds like a movie in itself. These misadventures <laughs> culminated in your winning a Billboard Magazine Music Video Award. Oh, it did. Okay. <laughs> uh, Chris eventually joined the independent documentary film scene to start work on your feature-length directorial debut, the offbeat environmental documentary Plagues and Pleasures on the Salton Sea, which was narrated by legendary counterculture filmmaker and king of trash, John Waters. The film went on to win over 37 awards for Best Documentary and was named by Booklist as one of its top ten environmental films. A cult favorite, the film was released theatrically in the United States and broadcast nationally on the Sundance Channel. When was this? 
Uh, so that was back in 2006. Okay, you need to do another film. Um, <laughs> I guess I have. Between, oh, you have? Okay. Oh, yeah, you have. You Right. Duh. Um, Keep yeah, it fun, you know. Another one. Yeah, yeah. With the success of that feature documentary, he has gone on to pursue other subculture documentary subjects, including uh, rogue uh, economists, lucha libre wrestlers, swam rat hunters, uh, ganja ganjapreneurs, and evangel- evan- evangelical Christian surfers. <laughs> uh, Chris Metzler recently finished traveling the theatrical circuit promoting uh, uh, Tilapia Films Emmy-nominated documentary Everyday Sunshine, The Story of Fishbone. Yeah, that is awesome. Which premiered at the Los Angeles Film Festival, screened at South by Southwest, and aired nationally on PBS. What year was that? Uh, so that was in uh, 2010, and then uh, recently finished up a new documentary about uh, these giant swamp rats that are eating up the coast of Louisiana, and that was um, played around San Francisco last year and was just on PBS uh, this last January. Right. That was the one I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, and and I got no play. Oh, okay. Darn. <laughs> I think we were oh, on the road yeah. at, the, the, uh, at the time. <laughs> Yeah, wow, wow, yeah, that was that was amazing about the giant rats. That's like, ugh, yuck. I'm from New Orleans. So right. Like, okay. Yeah. Wow. So, wow. Well, you have been busy. <laughs> and we, you so know, how many you know, films? artists just keep busy. Oh, totally, totally. So, how many films um, did you um, have this time for as submissions, and how many lucky? Directors, are we going to be able to meet and see their work this uh, this festival? Yeah, so we sort of do about a thousand submissions uh, to wind up mm-hmm. with uh, about forty-five uh, feature documentaries and another fifty or so uh, short films, and um, so those uh, hundred films uh, make up um, our two weeks of programming at SF Doc Fest, which primarily takes on a place at the Roxy and down. In uh, the mission in San Francisco, and the opening night is at the Brava Theater. Mhm. Okay. Nice. Nice. So yeah, a lot well, of uh, uh, you know uh, films to to wade through. It's uh, both myself and uh, three other programmers. So the four of us uh, have a lot of movie watching, but we're out there trying to kind of find the undiscovered gems and things that uh, we think people will get a kick out of uh, watching. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I was amazed by was the huge African-American selection. I mean, there are like so many. Oh, my gosh. And then you've got a lot of local um, directors uh, as well, um, which is really cool. Um, Yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about um, some of the gems and uh, as well as um, what's really cool about uh, the San Francisco Documentary Film Festival are the different kinds of fun programming um, that also happens, which is really cool. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, most definitely. Well, I mean, the thing we try to do with all the programming is have a pretty eclectic slate, so no one, uh, mm-hmm. each film is going to be its own kind of experience. And so if you get a chance to see one film during the festival, great. If you're able to see uh, more, um, it'll be its own kind of let you kind of enter into a new world. Um, you know, one of um, my favorite films actually is uh, 
this film in Besha. It's a, a film from one of mm-hmm. our alumni who did a film uh, frame by frame several years ago. And um, Besha is this kind of magical, realist uh, kind of uh, documentary about this uh, young boy uh, who lives um, outside of uh, Addis Ababa, uh, Ethiopia. And um, mm-hmm. that city has seen a lot of uh, construction and gentrification, you know, similar to what we're seeing in San Francisco, but on a much larger scale. And so as the city kind of encourages on the farmlands and um, this kind of farming way of life, uh, he and his mom um, are forced to kind of leave. And through it, he kind of creates this kind of his own story about what's uh, happening. And so it has this kind of experimental uh, film quality, and it really gets to kind of show, um, you know, who – what are some of the people that kind of get displaced when development happens? And then also kind of mm-hmm. introduce you to some of the kind of traditions and you know, folklore of that area. And it's just a, you know, it's kind of a world that we don't often get to see. And um, that's a really great film and Bessa. Um, another uh, kind of uh, fun film is uh, framing John DeLorean. And so some people might've heard of John DeLorean as uh, the maker of that car that, uh, you know, um, Winds up becoming the time travel machine and back to the future. Uh, but the story mm-hmm. of Freeman John DeLorean is about this uh, kind of innovative designer, kind of like a Steve Jobs of uh, the automotive industry, um, who basically you know, decided to leave um, um, you know, Ford and GM, the big companies, and basically start his own car company. And with it, he created mm-hmm. this kind of um, obviously very iconic uh, car, but with it, he got in a lot of trouble and, um, you know, you know, his rise, his downfall was just basically as quick as his rise. So it's a really interesting documentary about this uh, history that we're not often aware of. Uh, but also the filmmakers do this interesting thing that outside of doing, you know, interviews and finding all this great archival material, they cast uh, the actor Al Baldwin as framing John DeLorean. And so there's these kind of reenactments, but they're not really reenactments because Al Baldwin kind of is uh, telling you about his performance and how the history kind of influences it. And so um, it's a really kind of quirky, funny film, and um, that's just a, um, a film that can't, it shouldn't be missed. And we'll actually have the two filmmakers in town uh, for that on mm-hmm. uh, Saturday, June 1st at the Roxy at 7 o'clock um, because they're receiving our nonfiction Vanguard Award. And that's an award we give at each festival uh, where we try to recognize filmmakers who are kind of doing something different in the documentary form. Oh nice, um, nice. Yeah. And I want I want to mention when I interrupt you, and that's uh, um <clears throat> uh directed by Mo uh Scarpelli. Um or Scarpel, is there is that Scarpelli? Um I think it was Scarpelli, yeah. Scarpelli, okay. Yeah, it's um it's uh it's screening on uh, Sunday, June second at nine fifteen and Friday, June seventh at four forty five. Just wanna let folks know that. Okay, go ahead. Always good to get people uh, in the loop with that. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, another really interesting, uh, you know, film is um, Barstow. And so I think, uh, you know, some of us uh, that have been kind of on road trips to California, you think of Barstow mm-hmm. as this kind of uh, place up the highway that you stop and you maybe fill gas in and you realize that like, the world lives out here in the middle of the desert. And um, what's... Uh, really cool about the film is um, it's a story about this kind of town that seems to kind of be lost in time, but um, what kind of pulls the film together is um, um, a uh, 
currently incarcerated at Poet in my uh, uh, world-renowned uh, Stanley Steen Jackson, uh, who's been serving a life sentence out there since 1977, uh, kind of shares mm-hmm. his story and also a story about the town of Barstow. And so it's this interesting way that they've interweaved the story of the people in the town and um, this inmate story and how they kind of um, are intertwined. And so um, that film springs at the Roxy on Wednesday, the June, Wednesday, June 5th at 9 p.m. and Friday, June 7th at the Roxy at 9.15 p.m. Um, and um, the thing that's um, kind of especially neat with that film is so um, outside of that being a really great film, there's also a larger, short, longer short called Whisper Rapture uh, that's screening. And it's by, done by a local filmmaker, Ken Paul Rosenthal. And it's a story about uh, kind of a, a punk rock musician and kind of bonfire Madigan Shive um, to uh, people that were around San Francisco in the 80s might be familiar with her. And basically the way that she uses music to deal with uh, mental illness, it's kind of the filmmaker has it labeled as a, a doc opera. Uh, so uh, but that film, um, Whisper Rapture, is uh, paired with Barstow, California, and that's uh, – uh, Wednesday, June fifth, and Friday, uh, June seventh, at the Roxy. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, any others, or should I go through my list? <laughs> well, let me know some of the ones that you're uh, excited about, Wanda. Okay. Um, the artist and the pervert. That looks really interesting. <laughs> uh, which one was there? You broke up for a second. The artist and the pervert, um, Beatrice oh, yes. <laughs> uh, Ben and Renee uh, Gephardt from Germany. Yeah, um, it screens on Saturday, June eighth, at nine fifteen, and Wednesday, June twelfth, at nine p.m. Yeah, we were really um, excited when that one uh, came in because um, you know it's a story about this uh, BDSM um, uh, partnership and marriage, and um, with a really um, kind of unique uh, twist in the sense that, uh, you know, uh, one is um, the story of, uh, you know, um, basically it's a, you know, interracial story of, uh, you know, kind of in the BDSM scene. And it's just one of those films that when we see it, you know, one of the challenges as a programmer, um, when there are topics that people aren't necessarily familiar with, you wonder like, okay, well, how many people are going to come and see this in the theater? But, um, you know, outside of the subject matter, the, um, the relationship is, uh, you know, so loving and the character is so intriguing that, you know, you're just like, we just, we have to figure out a way to program it. And they're kind of excited to share it here in uh, San Francisco. And basically the stories, you know, tells what kind of a, you know, healthy relationship can be um, within this community and um, the way that they've been able to kind of be together for 40 years. 40 years. Wow. And, and tell our audience, um, you, you were giving some, um, uh, acronyms, but what is the community? Uh, so uh, I would actually have to go and look it up because I always think of it as the uh, shorthand, but uh, BDSM, which is the, I believe it's a bondage, uh, discipline, dominance, and submission, uh, basically uh, kind of a sadomasochistic um, kind of a sexual mm-hmm. subculture. Okay, okay. Yeah, because it says um, in the notes that it's a famous Austrian composer and son of Nazi parents and a renowned African-American sex educator live a kinky lifestyle. She as his slave and muse, he as her master. I'm like, wow, 
that should be really interesting. I haven't watched it yet, but yeah. Yeah, there's okay. a lot of layers of uh, a lot of layers going on uh, there, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so far from ticket sales, that one has been selling really well, and um, oh, I wow. think okay. um, you know, I think you know this this is the sort of film that uh, you know if you go out on a date and uh, you know you go have dinner afterwards, you know you're going to have some interesting <laughs> conversation. Totally, totally, yeah, 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 and um, um, you, know, um, you have mm-hmm. no. Go ahead. Well, you know, uh, you know, a film that I want to make sure to kind of highlight, uh, um, just kind of thinking in an alphabetical way, but also, um, you know, uh, it's um, our centerpiece film. It's called uh, The Book of the Sea. And uh, this is a mm-hmm. film from Russia, but not from the regular part of Russia that you think of. It's, you know, out in the Far East in the Arctic Circle. And um, this is actually the U.S. premiere uh, the film's been, you know, uh, winning lots of awards on the festival circuit um, around the world, and is by a really celebrated documentary filmmaker in Russia that many of us, um, you know, haven't heard of. Uh, but the Book of the Sea is basically the story of this uh, indigenous community, um, you know, uh, up in the Arctic Circle who, um, you know, live off the cycle of the seasons, and um, you know, so that means they're out there, um, you know, hunting whale and seal and fishing. Uh, but the thing that really kind of, um, you know, I think is, you know, so different with the story is that it's not just this kind of, um, kind of fly on the wall story about this indigenous community, but they're able to share their stories about uh, different local myths and folklore. And through it, um, the filmmaker uses all this uh, really creative stop motion animation to tell the story. So it really is kind of like a hybrid documentary that uh, about half the film is this kind of these animated stories of these folklore of um, this kind of culture that many of us aren't uh, familiar with. It just, it's just a really neat film. Um, and that's Thursday, June 6th at seven o'clock at the Roxy. And that's our centerpiece film. And centerpiece films um, are basically a way that we're able to um, kind of recognize a film that we think is really special. And that if you only have one film to see, this might be one to, Go and check out. Mm. Oh, okay, nice, nice. Yeah, wow. Well, tell people um, uh, about the parties and um, and your short film programming um, is, is pretty pretty wonderful as well. And um, yeah, and then I, I have a couple yeah, of more films, of, but yeah, I want you. To <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and thanks again for the enthusiasm. Uh, um, you know, wanted to you know. The thing that we love about putting together a festival like SFTOPFest is it's kind of a way to get um, all kinds of different communities around San Francisco together to kind of enjoy films but have a good time. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things our founder, Jeff Ross, always wanted to do was not just make it about seeing the films on the screen but also having, um, you know, and kind of enjoying ourselves. And so um, some of the kind of uh, parties that we have going on this year that one is uh, related around uh, music. Uh, we have these two great uh, ska documentaries that are playing. Uh, that will be on uh, Sunday, uh, June 9th. And so um, the first film that starts at 7 o'clock um, is ska up about uh, ska in the 90s. And then uh, it's a double feature. And so that 9-16, we're going to have um, – a 40th anniversary screen of the film Dance Craze, the best of British Scott Alive. And so um, one of the things that people that have attended Doc Fest or other festival, Indie Fest in the past, might be aware of is that 
means there's a lot there's a lot of dancing in the aisles uh during these music <laughs> films and um that uh the retrospective film dance craze is you know the story about the two tone second wave ska movement in the u k and um you know there's a lot of that um you know scene was a lot about racial unity and also just kind of having a good time and dancing it up and so um that one we kind of consider a party because uh, we know there's going to be quite a bit of dancing. Um, mm-hmm. Then uh, on Saturday, uh, June 1st, following the screening of Framing John DeLorean, uh, next door at 518 Valencia, we're going to have uh, uh, the Bad Art Gallery. And the thing that's cool about the Bad Art Gallery is, uh, um, you know, some of the different staff spend all year uh, curating and finding the kind of best bad art around thrift shops around, you know, all around Northern California, but also around the world in their travels. And so uh, we throw this bad, up, bad art up in the wall, uh, wall, and we have stand-up comics um, write descriptions of um, uh, the art. And so while people uh, mingle and drink, uh, they get a chance to take in all this bad art, and um, everybody can kind of bid on it and you know take home a great painting <laughs> for $15. And so uh, that will give us a chance to kind of celebrate the Vanguard Award winners, but also um, it's just a neat time to kind of uh, – kind of look at art in a different way. Um, another kind of, um, you know, uh, kind of event that might be worth um, uh, discussing is, um, you know, I Want My MTV, and that's our closing night mm-hmm. film. And so I think, uh, you know, so many of us um, are, um, you know, familiar with the launch of the uh, – we're so familiar with MTV nowadays, not putting very much music on TV. But in the 80s, you know, it was a groundbreaking um, – you know, channel uh, introducing um, all these kind of new artists to, uh, um, you know, America. And um, mm-hmm. so this, this is our closing night film. It's basically tells this kind of irreverent launch of MTV. Um, and then following it, uh, kind of in their kind of 80s sort of um, throwback uh, night on um, Thursday, June 13th, uh, we're going to do I Forgot What It Was For, an 80s alt-rock sing-along. And so uh, yeah. That's uh, kind of a party where uh, we uh, screen all these uh, kind of 1980s uh, music videos, and it becomes a sing along <laughs> in the audience. And so uh, you get to you know drink and kind of belt your heart out in the comfort of uh, an enthusiastic <laughs> crowd. Right. Yeah. Um, and then um, the oh, I was gonna say the Breakfast Club being oh, okay. open. Maybe you were getting there. <laughs> yes. As you'll notice, there's a strong 80s uh, throwback uh, theme uh, to this year's festival. These sorts of themes just kind of develop uh, based on our kind of programmers' own uh, interests, but also kind of some of the films that uh, kind of show up. And so uh, Breakfast Club Bingo is, uh, you know, an event where um, we uh, screen the movie. Uh, In this case, it's going to be the iconic 80s classic uh, Breakfast Club. And with it, we have these kind of... uh, handcrafted bingo cardboards that um, you identify the clues as you watch the movie. And so it's kind of like you drink. There's a lot of drinking that goes on at that fest sometimes. And um, wind up uh, watching the movie and um, in playing bingo. And um, that is on Saturday, June 8th at 8.30. Mm, nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, and I guess with uh, without further ado, I guess I should introduce our opening night film, uh, 
um, really neat yeah. film, uh, Cassandra <laughs> the Exotico. And um, mm-hmm. that is Wednesday, uh, May 29th at the Brava Theater at 8 o'clock. Uh, and it's the story about uh, this uh, uh, world-renowned luchador, uh, you know, Mexican wrestling. Um, but what kind of um, subverts the story is that he was one of the first openly gay wrestlers uh, and kind of lived out and proud and kind of allowed um, his LGBT status to kind of be part of his character. Um, and so um, the story of Cassandra is, a, you know, you know, a person who's kind of taken a lot of risks and kind of thrown it all into their art and their sport. Um, it's a really beautiful film. And um, afterwards, as with any opening part, uh, opening night party or opening night film, we have to have a party. And so down the street at the makeout room, uh, we're going to have some really great uh, DJs spinning uh, 60s and 70s soul funk and disco. And so uh, we'll kind of live it up until the early hours uh, next Wednesday, May 29th, after following the Cassandra the Exotico screen. <laughs> wow, that's going to be really awesome. Yeah. Um, so in our, our closing minutes, um, I'll, I'll tell you some films that look really good to me, and you can maybe tell us a little bit about them. Um, we Are Not um, Princesses, um, uh, Bridget Auger and um, Itab Azram. That looks really interesting. Um, it's going to be screening Sunday, June 9th. 4:45 and Thursday, June 13th at 7 p.m. and they're um, local filmmakers. And um, and then um, <clears throat> the uh, the film Soar, Torian Soar, uh, Peter uh, McKinney and Audrey Candy Corn, um, also um, local filmmaker. That's a um, that's a short 30 minutes. And um, and I am the people, Venezuelan. Venezuela under populism, Carlos um, Oteza, uh, Mexico, um, 87 minutes, and that's um, Friday, May 31st, 4:45, and Sunday, June 2nd, 9:15. And the other um, Soratorian source is Sunday, June 9th at 2:30 with community discussion. Yeah, that's a really uh, great film. Uh, if people can kind of come out um, to check it out, because. Uh, you know, this is a film where, um, you know, mom kind of, um, you know, recorded and documented her own uh, story after the loss of her uh, son and trying to get justice and then um, wound up uh, collaborating with a local filmmaker to uh, edit the footage together to turn it into a really powerful film. And so I think this raises some really interesting questions about uh, filmmaking and kind of just proves that, um, you know, if there's a story to be told, uh, anyone can kind of rise up and kind of uh, tell their story. And um, so there will be a community discussion um, with uh, the filmmakers and some of the subjects, uh, but then also some of the journalists have kind of, uh, you know, covered this very important story that's uh, local to the Bay Area. Mm, yeah. For those who are who don't know the story, what what is the story? Yeah, well, you know, um, I will need to go back and look up because it's been a while since I have uh, seen the film and another programmer had seen it, but what I remember, um, you know, is a story about uh, police misjustice um, over in the East Bay, and uh, let's see if we can pull up the program uh, note here. I know this is a, um, a film that um, our shorts programmer, um, you know, Faye has been excited about uh, for quite a while, and I'm having a hard time taking a look, finding it here at the moment. 
Oh, oh, I, I have the note. Uh, if you want me to read it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind, that'd yeah. be great. Sure. When Audrey Candy Corn's son, Torian, is murdered, she uses her phone to document her own darkest moments. Through struggles with grief, poverty, and raising her remaining two children, the film reveals an optimistic and enduring spirit. On stage interview and community Q&A with the filmmakers by Otis Taylor, Jr., um, I guess following the screening. Yeah. So anyway. That's the uh, yeah. that's the note. Yeah, and this is one of those uh, you know I know one of the the one of the challenges you know as a programmer sometimes is you find um, these great films and um, this is a kind of a longer uh, short film that uh, runs about thirty or forty minutes and um, mm-hmm. it was kind of one of those films that you know when you're programming short films sometimes you're pulling things together thematically so you'll notice um, a lot of our shorts programming it's like you know this is a story about you know all stories about women or, you know, all stories that involve comedy. And this was just such an important, um, you know, film to our program or Faye that we didn't want to just screen it, but also kind of allow it not just to be a perfunctory Q and a of five or 10 minutes, but to actually really treat it as a kind of a community discussion about some of the issues that, um, you know, we in the Bay area are dealing with and, um, you know, with the subject and the filmmaker being there. Um, be able to kind of mm-hmm. really kind of get into the nitty gritty of it and hopefully be a cathartic experience and also inspire other people to tell uh, stories from their own communities. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is going to be one of those films that you definitely want to have, you know, give people enough time to be able to have a conversation. So that's really great that, that you all are sort of programming that into the screening. That's excellent. Really yeah, most definitely. That's uh, Soar, Tori and Soar, and um, that's on mm-hmm. Sunday, June 9th at 2.30 at the, the Roxy Theater. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, congratulations. Um, any any parting film, uh, you know, um, mentions? <laughs> I was looking at, like, well, Circles. You know, it looks like it's going to be really awesome. Um uh, and that is that a local film? Yeah, that's a local filmmaker too. So that's going to be great. That's on Saturday, June first yeah, so at two thirty. Mhm. And yeah, Monday, one of the June thirty. Yeah, one of the things that we try to do with the website is you can kind of uh, sort through the films based on different tags, based on subject matter. And one of the mm-hmm. subject matters is local. And uh, um, and so um, with local filmmakers, it means that in all likelihood the filmmakers will be there to do a Q&A. We actually have a lot of out-of-town filmmakers attending to do Q&A. So, um, you know, there's a good 50-50 chance that there's going to be a filmmaker at most screens uh, to answer questions and kind of tell them, you know, share with the audience what kind of inspired them to make their film. Um, and, um, you know, I think one of the things we kind of joke about sometimes at uh, DocFest is that, um, you know, if you threw kind of a, a dartboard, uh, a dart, if you put the program on a dartboard and you threw a dart at, you're probably, you know, we hope that it wouldn't go wrong and that there's a film that you'll walk away uh, being interested in. And uh, maybe the closing film that I'd love to kind of highlight is um, um, a really great film, uh, Unfinished, Unfinished Sentences. And um, mm. the thing that's mm-hmm. neat about this film, um, sorry, just getting a little bit over a cold. Um, the thing that I really love about this film is, um, you know, it's just um, kind of an experimental kind of arty film uh, told in this biographical nature where the filmmaker uh, is the daughter of uh, 
um, this kind of uh, conflicted artist. And it's a story about memory and exploring, um, you know, ideas of race and art, um, you know, between her and her father um, over his lifetime. And, um, you know, it's a really beautiful film, and it's one of those films that you kind of want to see in the theater just to kind of absorb. Um, mm-hmm. And it is the U.S. premiere. But the the thing that I think is we try to present as a unique opportunity is this, this is a film out of uh, Trinidad and Tobago, and um, you know, which isn't um, you know, you know, it's such a small country, and there's this kind of robust and vibrant film scene uh, there. Uh, but we in the United States don't often get the chance to see uh, the films that are made there, and so. Um, this is a feature film, uh, Unfinished mm. Sentences by Mariel Brown. And so um, mm-hmm. I think she's even going to be there to do a Q&A. And so I think, you know, people nice. get a chance, you know, come out and get a chance to see the film because it really is something special and um, kind of explores, you know, family dynamics. I think that, you know, any of us um, might be able to kind of deal with, but then kind of heightens it, um, you know, in telling the story about race and art. And, um, you know, just a really beautiful film, Unfinished Sentences, if people get a chance to check it out. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. That was one that looked really interesting. I I like the title, Unfinished Sentences. Yeah, cool. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for, you know, coming on the air to tell us about this wonderful, wonderful film festival. I mean, it is just one of my favorites. I love the San Francisco Documentary Film Festival, and you're in your 18th year. And it kicks off next Wednesday, May 29th, and it continues through June 13th at the Roxy and Brava Theaters. And uh, people can visit, again, sfnd.com to find out about the films, watch, you know, little trailers, get your tickets, because there's benefit to buying, you know, these more than one at a time, Um you know, like buying group amounts, not group amounts, but buying a series and things like that. And all that information is on the website as well. Yeah, we try to do like, uh, if you want to go see, you know, we have different, um, uh, you know, passes that you can buy, like one day binge passes. So instead of binging on Netflix, you can binge on the local film festival. But we also do these kind of five day <laughs> passes or five uh, ticket passes. And so you can buy that and see five different films, but you can also buy five and bring your family and use them all towards the same film. And this is really just mm-hmm. about trying to give people opportunities. And, um, you know, uh, you know, we're a, a local nonprofit, but we also want to make sure that films are accessible and we want people to kind of take a chance and uh, come and see what some of the films that we've dug up and uh, what mm-hmm. hopefully people will be see- reading about in the next, uh, the next year as they kind of rise to the top. Right. Yeah. Cool, super. Well, thanks again, and have a good rest of the day, and I hope you feel 100% on Wednesday next week. You know, rest up and, you know, drink Most your lemon and honey two-week marathon. Exactly. Well, thanks again, exactly. Wanda. Wanda, really appreciate it. See you at the movies. Oh, you're quite welcome. Definitely. Take care. <laughs> Bye, Chris. Mm-hmm. Hi. Hi, Mary Gallinger staff. How are you? Good. How are you? How are you? I'm fine. I really, really love your work currently at the uh, Joyce Gordon Gallery in uh, downtown Oakland, 406 uh, 14th Street. I got a chance to um, 
I was wa- I walked by and uh, looked in the window this past well no actually maybe maybe a week or so ago and got a chance to go in. Oh my gosh, the work is phenomenal. Wow, oh, it's just wow, a really you. really beautiful 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 show. Um, and um, yeah, I wanted to get um, the other artists in the studio, but that didn't work out. So you will be. Uh, Alone, but that's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And 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 you actually you live here, right? I'm in San Francisco. Yeah. Right, right. And um, is there something happening um this weekend? Um, tomorrow? Are you a part of? There's something happening. A program programming happening tomorrow with the um, I guess the um, the mural project. Um, and I was wondering, are you a part of the programming for that? Because we're not gonna. I, I thought we were gonna I have it. <laughs> You're not okay. No. Okay, so um, yeah, I was reading uh, from your your website, um, uh, MG Stout. Um, I really like the the narrative about your life. You know that you um, that you were a young mother, and um, and and you're a, a philosopher um, <laughs> by 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 discipline. However, right. um, uh, you you are now um, you know. You know, a expressionist, a present, expressionistic, expressionistic artist, and and how you know your painting, you painted your way out of postpartum depression, like literally. I mean, painting the these beautiful like murals on on the walls in your house, and then people yeah. like invited you to come paint on their walls because it was so <laughs> lovely. And, yeah. and you know, now you have some of your art is like framed, but I love your the names of the pieces, and then a little little affirmations that accompany. It's like really, really nice. So I wonder if you could talk you. about the exhibit, you know, that you have up presently. Um, I'm looking for my notes, the name of it. <laughs> and you're in the it's other called, artist there. And, yeah, yeah and, and no the more. work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the show is called No More, and it's about mm-hmm. um, really raising awareness about, you know, women not being safe in their own homes, domestic violence, that it's mm-hmm. a big problem. And that um, Pam, Pamela Castro, she's the other artist, she's a street artist from uh, Brazil, and she's fantastic. She has her own organization, and um, but women are very unsafe there where she is. And uh, so she really wanted to make the art to uh, to help raise awareness and to help, you know, be a haven, a, a place of safety for women to go to and express themselves. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the show, we both were both uh, domestic violence survivors. And uh, Oh, really? I was, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I was, like, a, it was funny because um, I'm not going to get into that, but, but it just, I wasn't meant to be in the show, but I was in the show. Like, initially, um I'm not planned. I have an exhibit for women because Joyce uh, Gordon, her gallery this year is called Year of the Woman. So all of the shows mm-hmm. have some sort of um, female empowerment storyline going along mm-hmm. with the work. Right. So um, mm-hmm. um, it was kind of an 11th hour thing where they were like, you know, Stephen called and was like, hey, can you be in this show? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, uh, <laughs> Sure. <laughs> so, like, I was a little uneasy about doing it because the the show that I have up there presently isn't 
it's a, a, a various, it's a lot of different collections. It, it wasn't just created for this show. So it kind of was oh, uh, okay. bits and pieces of other bodies of work that I've created. So it wasn't, it just, mm-hmm. it was different for me. Like if you, the other artists when you see her work, it's definitely fully one story for this mm-hmm. exhibit. Whereas my work, it's more of a collection of mini collections, but it's all me and it's mm-hmm. all expressive. So I was a little nervous about doing that, but it all came together, and I think I think it actually really works, and I'm I'm glad that it worked out that way. Um, mm-hmm. So the pieces are varied, but there's some more like mm-hmm. decorative pieces, and then there's more uh, narrative pieces, and there's some figurative pieces, um, and uh, but I I just was really really thankful to be included in it because it was a really great exhibit. It's a great uh, gallery and a fantastic location and we had a wonderful artist talk um i believe it was the the second saturday or something where we were able to talk and there was people there and i think that was broadcast on a podcast somewhere but i'm not 100 percent on that um Uh, Yeah, that would have been nice to listen to. But, uh, yeah, I wish I would have known about the artist talk, but I'm really happy that you're able to join us uh, and talk to us about the work. Yeah, yeah. Um, So continue. Um, Tell us about how, you know, it seems like literally art saved your life. I was thinking about um, the the work. Exactly. Yeah, by Charlotte Mm -hmm. Perkins Gilman. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. wow. This is this is yeah. a better a better twist on it, like right? You know, yeah, and, and <laughs> I agree because I feel like so much of there are so many in every life. I believe that there is definitely suffering and tra- you know tragedy, and there's you know life isn't easy, and um, there's so much negative in the world all the time that and and the topics are so heavy, but they do need to be explored. Um, mm-hmm. And when I first started painting, my work was very dark and very sad and um, cathartic more so. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like going forward, that's not what I want to do. I was, you know, I've just kind of felt like, gosh, there's so much sadness and there's so much of this everywhere. I'd like to be able to paint in some joy and show the happy ending because mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be just the sad, 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 that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think so many times people get caught up in that cycle of doom and gloom um, that I really, I've, it's something I've really practiced everyday positivity and how important that is to being a survivor. Um, and I mm-hmm. wanted, I'm like, this is a big part of who I am as a person. I wanted that to be in my art and to be a big part of my art. So I wanted to paint things that, we're joyful, like at the end of it, like, yeah, there might be something dark in it um, and there might be something bad that happened and it's part of the beauty of the piece, but it doesn't have to be a negative image. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so that's, mm-hmm. that's sort of the idea behind it. And the fact that life is so short um, and we only have this time and to spend it being beaten or sad or it, it's just it's 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 scary and and I'm, I want to kind of empower people to be like you know you can you can get out and you can be safe and you can be happy but you have to practice your happiness and you have to practice and you have to want it 
Um, so mm-hmm. that's kind of how my practice is now. It's really just trying to look at the bright side of things because life is really beautiful and it is such a gift and it shouldn't be wasted, you know, like every day. And it, I feel like cliche saying it, but it's, mm-hmm. it really is the truth. Like, and again, I, I suffer with all kinds of mental, I've got depression and anxiety and I take meds. So I'm, I'm not trying to say that these are real things. Yes. And you can't, you know, you take your medication and go to therapy, but um, you can deal with it and you can be positive. That's kind of the message. And, you can survive and you just have to believe in yourself and really get out there and find the resource, especially now with the internet, like resources are so much more accessible, being able to find a network and a place to go and, you know, finding a way out because people want to help you, you know? So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So are you from the San Francisco Bay area? No, I grew up in uh, Philadelphia. And, uh, yeah, so I'm an East Coaster. I've only been out here probably about a year and a half now. My husband retired and, uh, and this was our, his second act out here. He's working now for Oracle. And, um, yeah, so I was like, well, San Francisco, heck yeah, (laughs) here I come. (laughs) So I was very excited to be a part of this art scene and, and learn about the community and, all the people in it, and I've, you know, really met a lot of fantastic artists, and there's just such beauty, and this, like, because my studio is in the Mission District, and just with all the murals, Mm -hmm. and I just, it's just such a great place to really kind of kick off this whole new, you know, work that I'm trying to do, so it's Mm -hmm. it's a great place. Yeah, so the work that um, is at Joyce Gordon Gallery presently, is this work that you've created here since you've been in the San Francisco um, Bay Area? Yes, yes. There, There's a collection okay. of, there's three pieces called No Fear, and that is the mm-hmm. newest of all the work that I've done, and that's the direction. Um, then I'm really looking to push it and going to the next level. If I would, mm. if, like uh, somebody, when they were looking at it, said, you know, oh, look at you, girl boss, yacht, and um, I like was like, oh my gosh, that is like the greatest compliment ever. But um, mm-hmm. I would never, I would never compare it. Like he's just an amazing artist, and um, mm-hmm. and his work was very sad because his life was very sad. But I'm trying yeah. to that sort of style of narrative and being really expressionistic, and um, I want that that kind of imagery. But I also want to add the joyfulness to it. And I want to tell happier stories like, yeah, there's sadness in them, but there's a happy ending. Um, and, and by happy ending, I'm not talking sunshine and flowers. I'm talking just peace, you know, um, mm-hmm. because I think people hear happy ending and they think, Oh, you know, once upon a time. And then there was a prince and then she was happily ever after. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like happiness in the sense of, peace and self-worth and pride and, and, you know, no, no more fear and just enjoying Mm -hmm. those tiny moments and finding those small spaces in your life of that ordinary life experience and just being like, wow, this is wonderful. You know, being sitting Mm -hmm. outside in the sunshine with a glass of wine or having a yummy cup of coffee in the morning and just really enjoying like those tiny little moments because that's, 
really all we get, and those and the relationships that are important to us, you know, um, mm-hmm. cultivating those and friendships and community, and it's really important, and it really will help you get through all the crap. So, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel a little all over the place. I'm not really. Uh, because that's kind of how my brain works. I kind of, with my ADD, I kind of run all over the place. But, uh, <laughs> hmm. um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it, painting for me, it's not just, you know, it's it's my life. It's, it's a way of seeing. It's a way of living. Um, and just, you know, trying to share that experience. And also in terms of, like, if you want to say it this way, but I, I, I find myself, I contextualize myself within the bigger art history, and I just kind of want to be like a little, like the, the art, if art history were a bush, you know, with all these different branches and conversations, I just really mm-hmm. would like to be a leaf on that bush. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I would like people to, you know, I would like to, be a part of that and I would like people to see that contribution and and also the the stories that you know aren't printed in histories are painted in the halls and on the streets and it really adds to the tapestry of who we are as a people um, whether we're included or not we're here and our marks are here and somebody somewhere <laughs> will see them and put that into the context of what is happening in the bigger picture if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. But yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah, I want to mention a couple of, um, a few of the uh, pieces that you have. Um, cause I, sure. Uh, jotted down some notes. Um, you've got a couple of portraits, uh, funny faces, um, and uh, you've got funny faces one and funny faces two. They're in black and mm-hmm. white. And then, uh, and then you've got these really nice smaller pieces that are arranged, that are um, placed together. Today is yours. And uh, mixed media on canvas, and uh, and then um, and then you have find your rainbow, um, um, heart. What is it? Heart on your sleeve. Um, and then you have these really nice ones. There's like three of them together, close. Express yourself. Um, uh, and then uh, I really like your never enough time. Um, and and there's a really beautiful pastel kind of one. I think that might be never enough time. And then you've got and then another one that's really uh, pastel and really pretty abstract is um, uh, is tomorrow is in promise. I mean, like everything, <laughs> your titles are like affirmations, which are really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you've got right by work. No white white wedding is really beautiful. And mm-hmm. and moon uh, moonstruck. Yeah. Yeah. Really pretty as well. Yeah, yeah. And and then um uh I'm trying to think if that was over there. In the other other room, the smaller room, uh you've got these these hearts which are so yeah. beautiful. Um uh you've got uh, a, a larger size piece considering options and then you have uh these uh these really lovely hearts and um and then and then I really like fight like a girl. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny. Yeah. Um yeah. So so talk about, you know, some of some of these the the pieces and um sort of your thinking around them. Um but then also after you do that I wanted you to talk about about mental health and, and how, you know, your art process, you know, 
is is really integral as you keep on mentioning to um to your to your um you're being able to be in the world like if if there wasn't if you weren't a painter you wouldn't be showing yeah. up like this i think this is that right. is so amazing like so amazing yeah, yeah. it's it's and it's again it's following watching being conscious of things that are being put in front of you because like i said I, I, when i went to school i thought i was going to be a professor of philosophy i thought oh that's my path i'm going to study mm-hmm. and get tenure and i'm going to have a you know, I wasn't married at the time. I thought, no, it'll be a good, safe choice for me and my son. And, um, you know, this is this is how I'm going to live. And then, you know, life happened in college, and I met my husband, and then I got pregnant, and then I got sick. And, um, but uh, I guess I, I want to start with the pieces that you were mentioning. Like the Fight Like a Girl piece is mm-hmm. um, one of my favorite pieces in the show, um, and I want to create a whole lot more of this. And it basically, the images of, it looks like an androgynous person, like they don't have hair, and it's just kind of a face. And the, the idea behind it was I was listening to an interview, or I, I don't remember where it was that I saw it, but the narrator was asking people, what does it look like to fight like a girl? And, you know, a lot of the people, like they asked middle-aged people, teenage people, and like the, was always kind of like weak and kind of like, eh, you know, like it was just, I was just stuck, struck by how when they said, you know, what do you, what does it look like to fight like a girl? And they're like, eh, you know, very weak kind of postures and that sort of thing. And then they asked little girls, and little girls were like, you know, hands up, ready to punch you like boxers, you know, because that's what it means. <laughs> like, it doesn't mean mm-hmm. weakness. It means fight, like fight. So it, it just really struck that dichotomy of how, you know, girls fighting is weak and catty in our grown-up consciousness. And I I was like, yeah, because when I was little, I was like, no, I'll fight, you know, punch your face in and I'll, you know, like that's what a fight is. It's not like being weak and girly and, you know, kind of tossing my hair and, and that, it was just, it was very striking to me. So I kind of felt like I really like to create a lot more pieces like that where, you know, the, the, the person in the photo, in the image, it's a very feminine palette. Like there's lots of pinks and stuff and gray, mm-hmm. but the posture, it's very powerful and it's very like boxer, like fist up, ready to knock your block off. So that was important to me, and I kind of wanted to sort of bring that to light because so many times, like, you know, you hear fight like a girl, and it's just like, it's a weak thing. It's not like, oh, yeah, she's really strong. If you fight like a girl, it's usually an insult, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So that's why I thought that that piece was really important in the show. Um, the rainbows and all of that stuff, the, 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 the abstract pieces of color um, are really about, you know, there are little words that are kind of written in them about, you know, things that can bring you joy and writing that down and seeing it kind of like anytime you make a list of things, I find like, you know, that you're checking off, like you feel like you've been productive. And I think so much of life is being like, oh, you know, at the end of the day when you're taking stock, like, oh, what did I accomplish today? And and when Mm -hmm. you have depression or when you have these things, like, you need something to be able to look and see this concrete evidence that it wasn't all for nothing. Like, oh, well, 
I did this and I did this and I, you know, even the dumbest stuff, especially when you're first trying to get out of like a bad relationship or whatever. So the little, those little pieces all have like little things hidden in them. And that's what the find your rainbow is where it's like, there's something in your day that is going to be, bring you joy and you have to look for those moments. And that's what those pieces are about. So people could bring those into their home and, you know, that same thing, like that's that thinking. So, and I wanted them to be really abstract so people could just see the joyful colors and, you mm-hmm. know, connect with that. And because um, I like, for me, I don't paint so it sits on a wall. Like I want it to go into people's homes. I want it to go in shops. I want it to, you know, be on refrigerators. I want it everywhere. Like I'm not painting it. Cause for me, it's just the process and then putting it out into the world and being done with it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what those little pieces are about. The funny faces one where um, I was watching a little girl uh, make like miming a teenager with the Snapchat and this whole idea of mm-hmm. constantly in front of a screen. <laughs> so that's kind of what those pieces are about. And she's just making absurd faces, but she was like holding an index card pretending it was a phone because she didn't have a phone. She was like, ah. And I thought that, again, it's just kind of finding those funny moments that kind of make you laugh and chuckle. And the line work is really fun in it, and it's kind of cartoony. But it was just a fun piece to do. Um, And uh, so that's why I put it there. Because I feel like all the different stages of life, I thought, you know, were a big part of sort of the arc of this. If you were telling the story, of the show that you see there's the the ones in the very front of the gallery that are where the abstracted like more floral softer pieces they right. came first before the fearless pieces that you were talking about with the heart on your sleeve um mm-hmm. tomorrow's and promise because and it's just kind of this evolution of like you know i got to i was trying to really just be quiet and make something trying to explore abstraction with floral forms because people, typically viewers, they want to be able to recognize something. And the whole idea of it being a flower and feminine power and a lot of times, like, you know, you've seen Georgia O'Keeffe where her flowers are being uh, interpreted as, you know, female parts. and, And I just kind of wanted to play with that notion, but I wanted it to be open to interpretation and, um, and again, just joyful, just that women are beautiful. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's what those pieces were kind of reflecting. And then it went more narrative with more of the scribblies and stuff in the, uh, in the, the center, the, the No Fear collection, which is on my website. So you can see all of the stuff that we're talking about on my website, um, mgstout.com. But you should definitely go check it out at the gallery because the gallery is fantastic and Pamela's work is, fantastic the other artist that's there um her work is mm-hmm. very um autobiographical and um a lot of images of her face and women that have um touched her um and empowered her uh while she was here on her residency so um yeah i think that that's that's what's <laughs> up there yeah i know i'm like trying to I'm like okay so lots to unpack um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, so I was wondering again. No, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I, I didn't want to interrupt you. Um, did you finish your thought? Yes. 
Okay. Um, yeah, I just wanted, um, in closing, uh, MG, I uh, wanted you to, um, you know, maybe just, just reemphasize um, um, the role of art in your life um, in, in, in providing you stability, providing you a voice, and, and also just wondered if are you still painting in people's homes? Are you still painting walls? Like, can people still hire you to do that? <laughs> um, no, I don't actually do that. I mean, of course, I'm down to paint whatever, so I'm always interested in projects. <laughs> but um, right now I'm really focusing on my studio work and building a catalog of pieces that, you know, I can – that that that's sort of where I am right now, and um, mm-hmm. the the works. I mean, and I do have works in government collections, and my work has evolved and changed. And I really want to focus on um, just this narrative and the storytelling, and really pushing mm-hmm. it and having more figures in it. And uh, because I'd like to get into, you know, my five year goal, because that's my goal, is to you know get gallery mm-hmm. representation, and um, really to be able to make enough money that and have enough recognizer, you know, uh, people recognize my work so I can actually start a nonprofit, like, that could be helpful mm-hmm. to the community. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, like, I would love to be able to have a nonprofit where art making and creating and having a safe space for people that are either experiencing domestic violence or have experienced it or with Alzheimer's because it, for me, art is so therapeutic and it is mm-hmm. such a release that I really, that, that to me is the, what I like really, really want to do with my art at the end of the day. Like when I close the book on who I am, I would really like to be mm-hmm. able to share this gift of creation and of self-exploring and leaving your story, you know, because I think like the personal is political and I feel like all of this is part of the tapestry of storytelling and of history making. And I feel like it it helps tell the full story of where we are in 2019. And I would love to have as many voices included in that narrative and experiences, because I feel like that's how you get a fuller, richer, really better understanding of what's happening, where we are now. And um, going forward, that's what I would like to do. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely um, think this particular um, show, you know, with Pam, Pamela um, uh, as well, um, you know, who is, um, you know, also, you know, a muralist, and and yeah. there's a mural that she she painted in the gallery, you know, with George yeah. Gordon, <laughs> the yeah, uh, the, um, the 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 uh, the gallery owner, and um, you know, right there, and she just she did it like so. It's like a one of a like that particular aspect of of the show, if you don't see it, you missed it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and again, there great. there is a um, yeah there is a actually there is a um a workshop this weekend uh, at the gallery, um, and you can go online to JoyceGordonGallery uh, dot com um, to find out the details of it or call, and and find out what time the the workshop is. Um, so that should be really interesting. But within the yeah. gallery uh, exhibit itself. Um, in the in the smaller of gallery in the back, there is um, a uh, a piece that uh, I think Pamela uh, painted where the um, guests are invited to to write on on the figure. Oh no, that's 
Uh, yeah, that's my piece. Hmm? Oh, that's <laughs> that yours. Me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Good. You didn't yeah. hear anything about yeah. that one. Okay. Talk yeah. about it for a minute, and then my my next guest is in the studio. So hold on, Faye. We'll be right with you. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell us about that. That is yeah, so no, that awesome. Piece is, that piece is because again, like I said, it's about community and connecting people, and how our shared experience brings us power and closure. And I wanted the community to be able to be a part of the show as well and that piece mm-hmm. I painted gosh like 15 years ago and mm. I was like you know what it's just it's it actually was my the outline of my figure and it was kind of me mm. kind of like saying insults and stuff and just kind of putting it on a place and getting rid of it and I just wanted to give people that experience too where they could just write whatever they want or scribble or do a drawing on it and it just being mm-hmm. a bigger piece of you know history and talking and therapeutic so but mm-hmm. I do appreciate you having yeah. me on and um seeing the show and enjoying the show and talking about the show and uh believe it's up till the end of the month and everyone yes, should go is. see it and go to the uh workshop and yeah I just appreciate you talking with me and um it's been a great experience so thank you very much and thank you for your show bringing awareness and letting everybody see what's uh how art impacts us and uh, the benefits it brings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so MG, um, do people call you MG or, or Mary Gallinger? Uh, how do you? I, I see oh, MG, and um, I was just wondering. Okay. <laughs> MG is just because you know, I, I, because of the sexism in the arts. I I would rather you not know, like, if I'm a girl or a boy at first. <laughs> okay. But then, right. Yeah, <laughs> It doesn't matter to me either way. And it is shorter because Gallagher's stout is a mouthful. <laughs> oh, no, it's, you have a nice, long, different, beautiful name. So it's like, okay, I just want to yeah. make sure I'm, you know, doing it right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then MG is on your on your website, and it's just like, oh, right. MG, that's cool too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I definitely would love to have you on again, you know, if you have any other, you know, when, when you're – your next show opens. Let me know, and sure. uh, yeah, I uh, really, really appreciate um, this particular work um, and uh, and the curator's vision to invite you as well to be in dialogue with Pamela because uh, it's together. It's really strong, um, strong yeah. work, uh, strong story about about liberation, about safety, about women's agency you know, claiming, you know, their bodies, claiming, you know, the, you know, I guess politicizing or, mm-hmm. you know, the politics of, of one's body as, as a woman, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and Pamela, you know, she's, you know, she's in the diaspora, you know, she's in Brazil and, and you're mm-hmm. here and uh, same story, right? So this particular story yeah. about, you know, how women, you know, have been objectified and how safety is safety for women in public places is not something that's um, nor- a norm here right. or elsewhere in the West um, and how mm-hmm. that needs to change. And it changes by women claiming the space and telling their stories and by Joyce Gordon having this wonderful gallery and her vision this year to feature women yeah. artists. It's an opportunity for us to have this kind of public conversation about this. So, yeah, yeah. so I'm really happy to know your work and you're close. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah yeah and we and I hope to um be able to get Pamela um Pamela on the show yeah. before the exhibit closes to talk about her work as well. Yeah, that would be fantastic. She's great. 
Mhm. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Well, you have a good rest of the day. And, again, thank you so much for the work and, and for you your too. storytelling. All right. Well, thank you so <laughs> you much. Take I appreciate care. it. You have a great day, too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Good morning, uh, Miss Faye Wilson-Kennedy. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. What a wonderful discussion. I was just glued to the radio. Oh, that was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gosh, I know you're like really, really busy, you know, sort of getting ready for the Sacramento Black Book Festival, you know, opening on on May, Friday, May 31st, next Friday, and um, and the big day being the following day, June 1st. However, if you can get up to Oakland, you know, um, before before the thirty first, the show will be up. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's really, really amazing. It is amazing. Really, really beautiful, beautiful work by these two women artists. You know, sort of looking, uh, you know, um, at, you know, sort of reclaiming the space, and uh, yeah, yeah, and that's something I'm sure that. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. And um so yeah, I mean the resonance of of what we talked about, you know, I'm sure um uh, is something that resonates as well with you and your work cuz you've been doing a whole lot of work, you know, um as um, you know, not just um the curator and are you the founder of the Sacramento Black um Book we have a foundering. We have a found, we have a planning committee, and I'm one of the uh, mm-hmm. folks who served on the founding of the uh, uh, book fair. Not the founder, but serve on the planning mm-hmm. committee. Yeah. So this will yeah. be our sixth annual one, and really looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. They're always like these. I mean, it's just like it's not a book festival. It is like an event. Um, it's it's like each one is so different, and the people who come through from all around the country and mm-hmm. and you know internationally as well. It's just like if everyone is so different, it's like oh man, missed that one. Oh darn it, so and so, and what happened? And da da da. <laughs> I like I like yeah. the idea, but what we're really trying to help people understand mm-hmm. is that. <clears throat> It is free because we understand that if we really want people and families to come out, families are under a lot of financial and economic pressure. So our event mm-hmm. is free. So a family can just pack themselves up, either, you know, drive down, take public transportation down. If they don't, they can walk down, they can ride their bikes down, pack a little <laughs> lunch, and just enjoy themselves the entire day. We have a kid zone. We have a we kick off Saturday with a parade, so it's something for the entire family, and it won't mm. cost them anything. And even if they don't, if they can't afford to bring food in the kids zone, we provide healthy snacks. It's a way to introduce literature, books, and reading to the entire family, from the grandma to the two-year-old. Um, so we <laughs> tell people to come on down. Uh, if they want more information, they can always visit us at our website, sacramentoblackbookfair.com. We're on Facebook. <clears throat> We're just there to make at least that Saturday a day where, where reading and literature and literacy is number one in everything. And then we also have lots of partners. We work with the uh, Brickhouse Art Gallery who hosts us, so it's a beautiful uh, art gallery. We're in the backyard. We work with the local library. 
We work we work with our mayor. We work with our local city council members. So Sacramento has really embraced us in everything. We work with local businesses in the Oak Park area. Um, so it's a way that the community can come out and support it, but also have fun and enjoy themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking it would be really cool if, uh, for those of us in, in the uh, – uh, a little, little further north. If there was like a bus or a shuttle that that folks could just get on and you know and come on down, you know to to um you know to the to the book festival um you know the party on Friday and the book okay. festival on Saturday. Maybe next year. There's nothing organized for this year. But maybe mm-hmm. next year we can work on organizing, working with a partner organization. Where we can, mm-hmm. where we actually could do something like that, um, uh, because yeah. it is an event that you have to really come in and enjoy. And it's it's so funny because um, we have six different venues that you could go visit. So, we, you know, we mm-hmm. work with the local bookstore, Underground Books. We work with the local mm-hmm. theater, the Guild Theater. We work with mm-hmm. a local historic, two really historic organizations in in Sacramento Oak, and Oak Park. Women's Civic mm-hmm. Improvement Center, which is one of the oldest uh, black organizations in Sacramento, founded um, mm-hmm. like in the 30s, if my memory serves me right. And then our historic mm-hmm. AKA house is um, one of the sororities that have had that around uh, since the 60s. Um, and it's a beautiful uh, historic old Victorian home that's it's just gorgeous to go in and it just it's like you you're transported back in time with the beautiful heart with floors. They're part of supporting this effort. Um, we uh, have workshops out of there, uh, as well as authors um, uh, presenting out of that particular facility. So it, it's 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 a walking um, it's a walking book fair. So we always mm-hmm. tell people to wear comfortable shoes, uh, comfortable clothes, clothing. And we're a little different than the than the Bay Area in that in Sacramento in June it gets to be pretty warm, so we always you mm-hmm. know encourage people to bring bottled water and of course we provide bottled water because mm-hmm. it, the first couple of years I'm almost it's like it was like 104 105 we've been checking the wow weather. really <laughs> we were like oh my goodness oh uh, we work. When, when as we check the weather and we notice it, it's going to be really warm. We actually connect with the local fire department to make you know mm-hmm. to alert them that the event is happening. Uh, so far, no one has became ill. We have not had to call nine one one, but it gets to be pretty warm here in in, in Sacramento. Um, generally, starting off in early June, so it's just in time for our wonderful book fair. This year, we don't think it's going to be as warm. Uh, I checked the weather the other day, so it's going to be in the 80s. But the 80s in Sacramento is still warmer than the 80s, that what it would be in the Bay Area and everything. So um, Yeah, because it's inland and there's no no breeze, right, no water? To be, no water, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So right. it's, it's a yeah. wonderful day uh, for people to come and, and plan so we can think about uh, – Getting a bus or something to uh, to get people down. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. work a carpooling tree or something would be nice. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. 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 So next year, I would I would definitely love to help help pull that together. Um. Uh. So yeah. So keep me in mind. <laughs> oh good, good, good. Okay. So. Yeah. So I was wondering. Um. I I want to I want to read your bio, but also I was wondering if um. Uh, if maybe you could talk about sort of why um you know the founders or you know decided to do a Sacramento Black Book Festival because I don't think there are any black book festivals in 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 the bay you know I mean I I know there used to be something in Los Angeles and I know there's something in New York um cuz I know CNN I think they they broadcast it but yeah yeah, yeah. we don't we don't have, we used to I think we used to but we we don't have anything in in Northern California. We don't have anything, as far as I know, period. Uh, in in you know, like, I mean, LA might still do theirs, but you know, outside of Los Angeles, I think you all are it. We're it. And so one of the impetus okay. for this is that many of us who are on the planning committee were either mm-hmm. um, part of book groups, part of literary guilds. And we would go mm-hmm. to different uh, uh, book festivals, book fairs, literary events, and we would not see a lot of um, black authors. You may see one or two, uh, but not a lot. You would not even see a lot of uh, uh, people of color at the various events. And so we said, mm-hmm. you know what? We're intelligent, gifted folks. Let's see if we can do this ourselves. And mm-hmm. so we pulled together, uh, a, a, like I said, a planning committee. And the planning committee, many of us were part of, like I said, part of uh, a book, you know, book clubs, book groups. And we began to talk about uh, the different models that we wanted to use, how we would make, how we would use ours, and, and how we would, uh, how, ours, how ours would function here. And so it was, it was agreed that we wanted it to be open. Um, uh, like an outdoorsy event, and we also wanted to, if we really are going to build uh, a really good reading community, we have to start when children are young. So we wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that we had a um, a a kid zone or an area where children and families could come and congregate and together together. And so um, we start talking about. Uh, ways we can do that. And so it used to be the first three years, if you can believe it, it, I can't even believe we were kooky enough to try this. Actually, it was a Friday night, all day Saturday, and then half day on Sunday. And Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) we were just exhausted. And we noticed we just didn't get as many people out on Sunday because people tend to go to church, particularly in our community, or um, it's a time where they spend um, with their family, so to speak, um, and everything. So we, we dropped the Sunday about three years ago, and um, we heard feedback uh, from folks, and we made it much more compact. So we used to have up to eight different venues where people would walk to, and so People were really good in providing us feedback. So now we have anywhere between five to six venues, but this year it's five venues, and they're much more compact. So everything is within a a block or no more than a two-block radius, whereas in the previous years it was maybe up to three three or four blocks 
that people would have to have to you know have to walk and everything to see that to see the different authors and everything. And so now it's like I said, it's much more compact. Matter of fact, if you stand on one, if you stand in front of one of our um, venues, the <laughs> art gallery, you could actually see three other venues. So even if you wanted to, you couldn't get lost because you could actually uh, visually see where it's at and everything. And so uh, it's been a great opportunity and it's been a wonderful learning opportunity because even though we're in Sacramento, people come as far away as Fresno uh, to come Mm -hmm. to the event and to gather up ideas. A couple of years ago, there was a um, book club from San Jose area, and they wanted to do not so much a full-fledged book fair, but what they were really interested in is how we set up the kid zone and how we integrated the kid zone with, with we have a, another component of the book fair is called Books on Parade, and we mm-hmm. took that like, took that idea, borrowed that idea from the Harlem Book Fair. So when I went back mm-hmm. to the Harlem Book Fair, I've gone to the Harlem Book Fair several times, and one of the mm-hmm. things that I like is that the Harlem Book Fair is not far from a local hospital. I think the Harlem mm-hmm. Hospital, and there mm-hmm. there's several book clubs that meet there. And so what they do, their part of their participation is that they meet in front of the hospital, and in the parade format, they march over to the actual book fair with their favorite book. They oh, march. They're carrying it. Do you mean they're marching with their book? They're, they're, they're carrying their book, and they're marching through the parade. Mm-hmm. And in Harlem, they actually go into a local community center and then discuss their particular books. And I thought that was really fascinating. Oh, how nice. Yeah. That's a great idea. It was wonderful. So you had adults, children, you had some doctors in their white coats marching and everything. And so when we came to Sacramento, we modified that. So we also, as part of ours, we do a book drive. So people mm-hmm. can bring the book, the, their favorite book, or we have placards where they can write their favorite book. My favorite book is, and then they can carry the sign, or they can bring a book as part of the book drive, and then the books that they donate, they're then donated to a local organization in need of books. But we march around the community, invite the community to come out and join us, and over the years, community community members, families, particularly with young children, will come out and join us, or they'll come out to their gates and to their front yard and wave at us as we march through the community and everything. But I was when I saw the their parade in Harlem, I said, how can we integrate that into ours in Sacramento? And so we have each year we have a band leading us, a local high school band leading us. Families come out and participate. Once again, it's one way of introducing literacy, books, and reading in a fun way. Um, uh, because when we first started out, <clears throat> even though we were working with libraries, but <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of our libraries were not open all the time. And so what we were trying to do is connect folks to their local, local nearest library, but also helping parents and communities to see uh, literacy, reading, and books can be fun. And 
it was really fun. And then the person who actually created the event here in Sacramento, we lost her uh, a year or two ago. And so the mm-hmm. book fair, uh, the uh, Books on Parade has been dedicated in her memory and her honor because she took pride in making sure we had the band, making sure we had children and families out <laughs> participating in mm-hmm. that. She was active in her sorority. Her sorority always would show up. And so, um, and 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 uh, her her family actually took ownership of that event, and so it was really good. So it's a fun, that's one of the fun things about the book fair and everything. And, and oftentimes, when we explain it to people, they look at us and say, "Oh, I don't know." And actually, one of our authors had participated in the Harlem Book Fair and never mm-hmm. really noticed the parade. And then when we were oh. telling him about the parade, he said. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I never, I never noticed that, and I said that was one of the things that impressed me was the parade, because I'm, mm-hmm. for me, I'm always, as an educator, I'm always trying to find ways to introduce books and learning in a fun way for families and everything, and and the parade is one way to do that and everything. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. What's the name of the um of one of the founders whose um the parade is now in her name? It's Carol Borton, and Carol Borton herself was an educator. Uh, she was very mm-hmm. active in a local sorority in the links and really put her heart and soul in it. And so we were so we're so devastated that we lost her uh, and everything. Mm-hmm. And so in in her memory and in her honor, we dedicate each year the um, Books on Parade in in her name and in her honor and everything. Because she, oh, once I explained the idea to her, she took it and she just created it. And so every year, uh, we're mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's there. It's, it's she. Her energy is with us every year and everything. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Nice. Nice. And uh, and then when is the Harlem Book Fair? The Harlem Book Fair is generally in July. Uh, and matter of fact, we've been really lucky. We've had members from our group uh, travel travel there and participate. We've actually had mm-hmm. one of the authors uh, from uh, Sacramento. Actually, the Harlem Book Fair uh, actually awards. Diff- they have different literary awards. And uh, mm-hmm. Jerry Hunter, uh, who's presented in our book fair, actually was one of the runner-ups uh, uh, for one of the awards uh, and everything. So we are very always really happy to go to the uh, Harlem Book Fair. And it's it's like I said, it's an all-day event. It's also a good mm-hmm. way to do a family vacation because one right. of the things I, I like about there is there's different tours. You can go on tours of Harlem. Uh, they do nice. many different things. It's connected to mm-hmm. the, the, the famous uh, Schomburg, um, mm-hmm. uh Library, so you can get a chance to yeah. tour the library. Um, and it's really good. The year that I went, the last year that I went was probably 2000 and either 13, must have been 2013 because 2014 was the year we first had ours. Um, I got a chance to see uh, uh, our homeboy from Sacramento, uh, 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 Cornell West, was presenting mm. at the Harlem, <laughs> nice. at the Harlem um, Book Fair. Um and so you could just uh, there was a lot of different authors that was just walking around, engaging different folks, uh, talking about their books. One of the things that I liked about the Harlem Book Fair, 
and that we try to do <clears throat> here in Sacramento is that they have they have what's called writer circles where it would be two or more writers sitting at a table outside uh, talking about their books. So you could just walk by, sit down, and listen, you know. And then if you were tired of listening to them, you could just go to the next table and listen and everything. And so uh, that was really neat to see how that operated and everything. So, yeah, then like ours, we have vendors, we have authors who will be selling their books. You can purchase books at the bookstore. We're working with the Brickhouse Art Gallery. There's always a beautiful art gallery, always a beautiful art display in the gallery. So families mm-hmm. who don't necessarily go to an art gallery, when they come to the book fair, they can visit uh, the art gallery and see beautiful artwork and everything. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. this year yeah. one of the uh, vendors in the kids' zone will be actually doing three-dimensional three-dimensional art with computers and everything. Mm-hmm. So each year uh, we have many different um, uh, many different types of vendors, both in the kids' zone as well as on this part of the street fair, uh, mm-hmm. uh, introducing folks to unique ways of uh, literacy in books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you do you do you have the name of that um that vendor artist that you could mention um that you could give sure. give that person's name to our audience Her name is so they can look for that. A ZZ Pen and she's going to be doing it's called Fun Art and mm-hmm. it's going to be fun. So the local library will be there. We have the no- local National Council of Negro Women. They every for oh, the nice. past three years they've introduced. Mm-hmm families to the hula hoop contest because mm. we want to be healthy and so we have different <laughs> categories families can participate in the hula hoop contest and it's really really fun we work with the local parks and recreation department they provide mm-hmm. uh, books we work work with the local black child development institute they provide books uh, our local city council people help sponsor different things so we have many different ways we try to bring in um, different groups um, to play a role to make this happen and everything. So it's fun. In the past, we've had um, a local organization uh, that worked with computers. They won't be there this year, but uh, to introduce children to computers through the STEM program. Um, so it's, it's different things like that. We will have... Um, uh, Several different, um, we'll have, like I said, healthy snacks. We will have, the librarians will be there reading. We'll be working with uh, two sororities. Some of their members will be reading to the children. We will have face painting. Um, (laughs) It's a fun way for families and children to uh, come. Each family, this year we're doing something that's called the Passport Program, where all Mm -hmm. the vendors, who participated in the kids' zone, names will be printed, and then the families mm. will be encouraged to go visit each mm. one of the tables oh. to play a game. And then at the end, mm-hmm. they're checked off, and they'll come back to the registration table, and each child will receive a, a, a drawstring backpack filled with books and literacy-related. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah. But that's wow. Yeah. So that's the, amazing. Uh, Wow, that's going to be such a fun day. I know, wow. it's going to be fun. 
we're really looking forward to that. So yeah, but we constantly yeah. working and trying to find different partners, uh, mm-hmm. finding places where people can participate. Yeah, this is gonna be really lovely. So, what time does it start on Saturday? Like you know, for the parade and then all of these beautiful activities that you mentioned for for families and children as well as the adults. So we encourage everyone, if they want to participate in the parade on Saturday, June 1st, to gather about mm-hmm. 9.30 a.m. And and okay. our headquarters will be at the Women's Civic Improvement Center, which is located mm-hmm. at 3555 3rd Avenue, and that's in Historic Oak Park. And, of course, mm-hmm. you can always go to our website at sacramentoblackbookfair.com. It has all that information. The parade will start promptly at 10 we will, it's a short mm-hmm. walk around the community. We will end up back at the main stage in front of the Brick House Art Gallery. The band plays mm-hmm. a little bit, performs a little bit, and we will officially mm-hmm. open the book fair thereafter. And then families can come to the uh, uh, kids zone, or they can go visit the various um, authors who will be speaking and discussing their different books. We will have children's mm-hmm. authors. Uh, reading to the children. One of the things that's going to be different this year, the, a local fraternity, I want to say it's the Kappas, <clears throat> excuse me, at the national level have created a wonderful coloring book. Uh, uh-huh. And they're going to be, <clears throat> they're going to be for Sacramento. They're going to be um, uh, kicking that off in Sacramento. So we will have a person mm-hmm. talking about the coloring book, introducing the coloring book, well, coloring book slash comic book to the children oh. and families that particular day. So I'm looking forward to it and everything. So that's going to be fun. Uh-huh. So each Kappa uh, fraternity throughout the United States will have access to something like that. And so they chose oh. the book fair, the kids zone, to do it here in Sacramento and everything. So that's one of the things I'm looking forward to also. Oh well, and you um you didn't you didn't mention um that there's going to be live music. You're going to have a, a band. <laughs> oh, it's going to be several bands there. Let me see if I can oh. find the uh, <laughs> uh, lineup. For that. Wow. Okay. So this year, under the leadership of uh, Barbara uh, Range and Lisa uh, Daniels, Barbara is the curator and director of the um, uh, Brickhouse Art Gallery. Uh, and Lisa is with another unique organization where she honors unsung heroes, but she honors um, veterans, particularly focusing on black veterans and veterans of color. They have put together a wonderful poetry and music festival for us. That's what we would call our street fair. So there's going to be bands, there's going to be youth as well as adult poets, uh, 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 sharing their uh, it, they're going to be throwing down. It's been really good. Then we will end the program with um, uh, a group. Uh, I'm trying to get the name of the group. It's Eric E.Q. Young. I, I'm not that familiar, but once I say his name, young people know who I'm talking about. I was like, okay, I don't know how we were able to get him, but I am really glad. It's been, and then the, <laughs> I, I, I was like, okay. When I ever when I mention it to young people, they say, "Oh, Miss Bay, you know, you know, you know him." So I'm, between now and then, I'm gonna have to go look him up because it doesn't ring a bell to me. But everyone seems to know who he is, so I got to 
leave the kids zone to go check him out and everything. So, yeah. So it's a fun field day. There's something for everyone. Uh, we have a, 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 a local song just called Space Walker. Now, I do know I did know mm. who she was. Um, wow, but it's that sounds fun. awesome. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah it's going to be great. And once again, mm. it's free. All you have to mm-hmm. do is bring a little money for refreshments, pack your lunch, bring up some money uh, for adults who want to buy a book because we're going to provide uh, complimentary books for the children. It's a day that you can come and check it, check out and relax and everything. So, yeah. Hmm. Wow, wow. And, wow, this just really sounds like some fabulous programming. You all put a whole lot of thinking and time into this. I mean, wow, this is really, really awesome. Um, yeah, we haven't even talked about how you pay pay for this. Maybe we could do that on another time um, afterwards, and then you can maybe drum up some more sponsors because this sounds awesome. You know, it would be really cool if you could take it on the road like you do it in Sacramento, and and then it shows up somewhere else. But, wow, this definitely, you know, we need to make it easier for people to, like, get there from other places in the Bay Area because, wow, that is – this is – Phenomenal. I mean, it's this is phenomenal. really phenomenal. And I like, and what we do, it's a year-round planning. So we plan. Oh, okay. okay. Literally, we plan. We will have our final planning meeting uh, next Wednesday, and then mm-hmm. we take July off, and then we start mm-hmm. planning in August. And another mm-hmm. component that I didn't talk about is that starting in generally in October through May, to get the community mm-hmm. ready, uh, what we do, we have what's called community read-ins. And during oh. the summer months, what we do is we select books that are age-appropriate. Uh, we select books that are for adults, young adults, teens, uh, uh, young school-age children, older school-age children, and preschoolers. And then we compile a list of those books and provide a description, and then we invite the community to read those books. What we do specifically, Mm -hmm. we go into schools, we go into community centers, we go one year, uh, we went into a lot of uh, churches, mosques, and we read to children the books. And and that's one way of telling, letting them know that the event is happening, we provide flyers to the school, we provide flyers to the community center, and then um, uh, it's building, it's beginning to build our audience, but it's also introducing children and families to books written by black, uh, by folks of African descent, and books mm-hmm. about black folks and everything. So the whole purpose of the book fair was designed to highlight authors of African descent and books uh, mm-hmm. about folks of African descent. And so we do, it's a whole year-long process. And then how we we recruit community members um, Mm -hmm. from the community, and we get a lot of folks who are retired teachers, retired librarians, who join us when we uh, go into the the schools, community centers, uh, places of faith, and read to the children and everything. So it's, and then Mm -hmm. we train them. We've identified three different videos uh, that show Mm -hmm. them YouTube videos to show them how to read to children appropriately, how to read to children yeah. as in a group setting, how to read to children on a one-on-one setting. It talks about the importance of reading. So what we're trying to do is build our new audience 
for the book fair as as the book fair grows. So just think, we started the community mm-hmm. reading six years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have children are now are in first grade or kindergarten, and we may have mm-hmm. read to them for the first time this year and everything. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's been really mm-hmm. fun. Oh, that's amazing. So this information about the year-long planning, you know, with the community reading, is that on your website as well? All of that is on our website, correct. And we had our, okay. we finished up our last community reading. Was the last one was in last of April. I think the last one was in April at a local community mm-hmm. center. We went to their after-school program. And I've been doing some research because normally we focus on reading for uh, children through uh, sixth grade. But there's also Mm -hmm. a body of research saying that even children as old as junior high school and high school like to be read to. And so we're like, "Mm, okay, we're going to figure out ways. And one year we worked with this one school who had, uh, had, uh, they went from preschool to eighth grade. So what we did, they, we trained their older children, uh, the 7th and 8th graders, who then read to the younger children. And mm. so we're always finding different ways of introducing different models of literacy and engaging around books. And then for the past two years, we work with a particular school to have kids go from K, kindergarten through 8th grade. And what we do there, we do a big assembly-style program where we invite local authors. Last year we invited we invited a local um, um, illustrator uh, who was also an artist, and she talked to them about what it's like to be an artist, uh, what she had to do to become an artist, uh, and then talked about what then transferring those skills to what it's like to be an illustrator and how she was able to make a living as an illustrator, as an artist, and where she's working now, and and it was it was really really good. Uh, and this year we invited two. Matter of fact, both of them are going to be part of the book fair. Uh, two authors, uh, Kanika Kathy Kanika Marshall, and then uh, mm-hmm. Denise Griggs came and talked to the children, the youth, about what it's like to be an author, how they could publish their own books. Um, uh, it was really a really good interaction. We then each child had an opportunity. We set up um, what we call tabletop libraries where kids could read the books. We uh, did hands-on activities. Uh, kids talked about what it's like, what they like about reading, what they like about writing, and then they were able to write stories. And we created a what's called a community quilt based on what they wrote and shared. Uh, after discussing um, things with the two authors and everything. So wow. A hundred and forty five yeah. kids. hundred and forty five. Wow. That's amazing. K through eighth grade. We were we were quite busy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yes you were. Wow, wow. So um wow, that's amazing. So that's this year only, huh? <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, we did that this year. We worked with the local library. Um, they came in and they showed the children how to create their own buttons using slogans mm-hmm. about some of the books that they read. So it was really good. So it was. It was the. the mm-hmm. I think everyone enjoyed it, and uh, and mm-hmm. I even learned something. 
from 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 the from some of the kids and everything. So it's great. We have fun. So in that particular nice. school, they always invite us every year, and it's all it gets mm-hmm. better. It, it's unique each year. Uh, the first year we worked with them, we had a lot of parents. We had over 30 parents and community members join us the first year. This year we didn't have as many parents joining us, but we had lots of young people enjoying themselves and, and really uh, understanding the importance of reading, the importance of books. The librarian introduced them uh, to making sure everyone had access and to library cards, know, to know about the library and the hours of the library. So we're always trying to connect them to different things that way and different resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. We we haven't even had a chance to, to read your bio. <laughs> wow, there's just so much to talk about with regards to this um, the Sacramento Black Book Festival. I mean, it's just like it's it's an institution. Like, oh, wow. Yes, it, yes. And, and and I think the advantage we have is that a lot of us came out of either education, working directly with, you know, young children or families, or mm-hmm. we were administrators. So it was, it was kind of like a, a next evolution for us uh, in terms of how, because, you know, you and I know that if we are going to have a literate society where people are able to read and write and appreciate things. We have to start when they're young. We have to start when they're really, really, really young. And so we partner with a lot of different organizations uh, to do that. So one year, for the past three years, we've actually gone to read to children who are in homeless shelters and introduce oh, them wow. to kids and mm-hmm. uh, work, work with the staff. And so uh, for the past couple of years, when people donate books as part of our book drive, we we always make sure that those books, some of those books go to those programs that are serving children and families without homes and everything. So uh, that's one of all of our commitments because we want all children and families to have access to books and literacy and to know that they're loved and everything. So we've been doing that for mm-hmm. the past years and everything. So it's been really good. Yeah. Oh, that's really awesome. Yeah. Well, let me, um, do you have a little more time? Because, um, oh, I, oh, okay, yeah, because I do want to, uh, we were going to talk about something else because you have just seemed like you have devoted your life to the community. Um, you know, when you're not planning the book festival and participating in it, you know, you're doing other community work like being a member of the Sacramento Poor People's Campaign uh, and co-chair for the California Poor People's Campaign. And when I saw that in your body, I was like, oh, my gosh. But, you know, you were talking um, about how many of the the planning committee and founding uh, committee are um, people that come out of, um, you know, education. And and you actually, um, you know, as a founding member, you're also organizer of the Black Parallel School Board, which is also based in Sacramento, and um, and you have more than 30 years' experience as a community organizer, human rights professional, educator, and group facilitator working with diverse communities, agencies, and organizations throughout Northern California, and uh, and you have a bachelor's degree in child development and cultural anthropology from, uh, so is that Cal State University, uh, Sacramento? Correct. 
Okay, so you're like born and bred, huh? <laughs> born here, I lived in Sacramento. Originally, my parents were from the Deep South. So, you know, when people really? talk about the various oh. migrations, so my parents yeah. migrated to Sacramento in the in in the mid '60s. Uh, my father's uh-huh. from job where? brought from Mobile, Alabama. Oh, seriously? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah. I've been here since '66, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, so home I'm, I'm homegrown in that sense, but definitely mm-hmm. I still have the the bulk of my family. Uh, both of my my parents are now deceased, made their transition. But the all mm-hmm. other than a few cousins that I have here in Sacramento, the majority of mm-hmm. my family um, are back south in in Alabama. Um, mm-hmm. Both of my parents were born and raised in rural Alabama and Choctaw County. Actually, I mm-hmm. was born and raised uh, born definitely in in rural Alabama myself. Um, mm-hmm. Born at home uh, because mm-hmm. of deep segregation that existed in those days. Um, when it was time for me to be born, my mother couldn't make it to the color hospital. Um, and oh, so they wow. had to kind of like, yeah, they had to turn around and go back home. And I was actually born mm-hmm. at home and birthed by a midwife. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, that's a that's a wonderful story in itself. But, yeah, so the mm-hmm. Poor People's Campaign for me was a natural evolution. I actually joined it in, 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 to, to, um, in memory of my parents because of mm-hmm. the deep oppression that they had to live through. And so it was a way of continuing their legacy of um, uh, for justice and uh, seeking justice for all folks. So, yeah, so mm-hmm. Sacramento, uh, as well as the California Poor People's Campaign, we are in the middle of trying to get ready for the um, National Congress that's going to be held in June 17th through the 19th in Washington, D.C., so we're in the middle of trying to raise funds. California would like to take 10 gal- delegates. Uh, folks are mm-hmm. from the poorest communities within California and Sacramento, and particularly we're trying to take um, uh, 10 delegates. So there's a poor people's campaign almost in every major city in California. In April, we just finished up a uh, eight, no, a nine-city tour where we went into cities starting in Northern California. So we went to uh, Paradise. Many of your listeners may be familiar with Paradise, California. Mm-hmm. It was ravished by the fire. I happened to do organizing in Paradise some 15 years ago, so I saw it mm-hmm. before the fire when it was a beautiful, luscious, green community. And now to mm-hmm. see it almost wiped off the face of the earth was just, my brain couldn't comprehend that. It was just, it was, it brought tears to my eyes. Um, mm. And from there, we went to Chico. Uh, from there, we came to Sacramento. We were in Oakland uh, at, for the Poor People's Campaign in Oakland. And then we came uh, from Oakland. We went to uh, uh, Fresno. Um and so just in those cities that I just mentioned, what we saw and what we heard from residents was the number one problem is lack of housing and lack of affordable housing. So uh, Paradise always had a, had a problem with housing. It's even uh, exacerbated by the fires because 
families are just displayed uh, all over. And I didn't even realize how bad it was. This December, Mm -hmm. in my neighborhood, on my street, there was a family that opened their home to um, some of the residents of uh, of Paradise um, uh, to the tune of 20 people. They opened their home Mm -hmm. to 20 people. Uh, And so Mm -hmm. those of us on the street, once we found that out, we wanted to do as much as we could to assist those families and everything. So those families in in Paradise are just dispersed all throughout the United States, probably by now and everything. So from Fresno, we went into Southern California, to L.A., to Pacoma, to Pomona, to San Diego. And, And what we found, once again, was that poverty and the lack of housing, the lack of affordable housing, was the number one issue that all of those communities had in common. Mm-hmm. And despite what people think that all people who are homeless have mental health issues, that's not the reason people are homeless. People are homeless because they're not making enough money. They're make they're working two and three uh, low wage jobs, minimum wage jobs. We see rents keep escalating throughout the state, mm-hmm. and they just can't afford it. And many times, they're only uh, when they when when the rent increased, they're only given anywhere between two to one month's notice. So just think, if you don't own your own home and you're renting, and you're only given one month's notice, and your rent is going to increase to a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars. In many cases, three hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, that's mm-hmm. that's really hard to you know. Uh, accomplish where are you going to get an extra hundred dollars where are you going to get an extra two hundred dollars so that's why families are homeless and that's why i'm saying it's families it's not just adult men and women these are folks with young children with babies and or teenagers so that's why we try mm-hmm. to connect the poor people's campaign with uh going in with the book fair going to those programs to serve those homeless families so those kids can have access to books and, and reading material and everything. So those are some of the things that, that we do here in Sacramento. But the Poor People's Campaign is, is, is my commitment uh, to carry on my parents' legacy um, and to give voice and to work with those folks who are poor so their stories can be shared uh, with local policymakers uh, here in Sacramento or throughout California and then they'll have an opportunity when we go to Washington, D.C. There's going to be a special uh, forum where they'll be inter- engaging with those candidates who are running for uh, president. Uh, they'll get a oh, chance good. to engage. Yeah, they'll get a chance to engage that. They'll get a chance to engage folks um, at the policy level, at the federal level. So um, it's, 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 it's one of the ways, uh, besides the Black Book Fair, of me giving back to the community and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking um, when you were talking about the recent discovery of um, the Clothall, um, uh, the the last um, slave ship, um, you know, that was um, sent to West Africa sort of on a wager out of um, um, what now is now Africatown, which is, you know, right near Mobile, Alabama, and you know, to discover this this ship, which you know, this month, um, like there was um, we there was the thought that it had been discovered because 
what the person did. I I don't have it in front of me, so I don't know the name of of the uh, the man the men who who navigated the ship or the people that built the ship. Um, but you know the story, I'm sure. And so they they blew up the ship. First they they set it on fire, and then they blew it up trying to like get rid of the evidence because it was against the law to mm-hmm. to bring Africans into this country. But he he told he it was like a wager. Uh, I can do it and get away with it. So he he brought in these these Africans and they were like young. And one of them, uh, who they call Cujo, he was the last person and and um, to survive who's a you know, African, and they, they built their, their own uh, city because since they were African and, and those of our ancestors who had been here for hundreds of years, um, they, you know, were no longer, no longer knew the language, no longer, you know, knew the culture. And so there was like a cultural kind of disconnect there and, and between the two communities. And so um, this story is captured by Zora Neale Hurston, and that book just came out last year, which is, like, so awesome. It's a great read. But there was also a really wonderful scholarly uh, book written about 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 this community. Um, and, and so I was there last year in April for the opening of the, the National Memorial uh, for Peace and Justice in the Legacy Museum from Slavery to Mass Incarceration, you know, the Equal Justice Institute, you know, right. Brian Stevenson's organization. Were you there? I wasn't there, but very familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, that's exciting. And it's interesting that you share this story. It's because mm-hmm. when we sat down in August and in September to begin to identify books and select books for the Black mm-hmm. Book Fair, we make sure... Mm-hmm particularly the books we select for, for, for the youth and children, deals with history. So one, the mm-hmm. first year we had the uh, community read-in, we selected a book by, we didn't realize initially, we selected a book, it was about Dr. King. It was actually mm-hmm. for children, and it was written by Andrew Young's daughter. Wow, and it told, nice. It told the story of her relationship with her uncle Martin. So when you read mm-hmm. when the children read the book, it talk and, 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 and it talks about her 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 relationship, her father's relationship with Uncle Martin and how when she was growing up, the different protests, the different injustices and at the very end of the book, because you don't realize it's doctor you know, the children don't realize I didn't realize when I read the book initially myself that the mm-hmm. Uncle Martin that she's referring to is Doctor Martin Luther King. So it's introducing children to history that oftentimes mm-hmm. kids don't want to read about history because they don't always understand if you don't know your history, you can't move forward and you definitely can't function in today's world. So when we select books for children and even adults, we always try to make sure that um, we choose books that introduce them to stories. And the other book that we chose, you remember a couple of years ago, and uh, uh, Congressman John Lewis, has done a series yes. of graphic novels. So we Yeah, they are so good. Yeah, the March. Uh-huh. The March. So we did the March for um mm. introduce uh, the children to the, the particularly the teens to the March and actually mm-hmm. we went to a, a high school and talked about the March in relationship to contemporary issues impacting young 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 people nowadays. So the young people talked mm-hmm. about what it's like 
of being involved or want to get more involved with the Black Lives Movement, you know, what's happening on their campuses and relationship. So it was really interesting when you were telling that story about the slave ship is that oftentimes that's an uncomfortable topic for a lot of people. Um, we've even had teachers who felt uncomfortable once they read the book about um, uh, about Uncle Martin and made them feel com- uncomfortable. And I said, well, it may make you feel uncomfortable, but my parents' generation lived that. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the reality of our country. So you mm-hmm. have to move past feeling uncomfortable because that's the reality. Um, um, all of us didn't come to this country as immigrants, as willing, uh, as willing people. We were brought here, and we have to begin discussing its implications and how we're going to move forward as a nation and everything. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of which, um, I wanted you to um, mention since we're we're talking about, um, you know, these these. Um, iconic moments. Talk about your featured authors this year. Um, you've got Christine Brown, Bill Fletcher Jr., and Minerva Stewart, and Isaac Sirwanga. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. So each year since our inception, we've identified authors who we think um, have a unique story to tell, and some of them have been both international, national, and then some of them have actually been folks locally, what we call for Sacramento and everything. But we always think that their book or their series of books have a unique story to tell or their or, or their bio uh, is unique uh, and everything. So I'm going to start with one of the authors I just happen to know on a personal level. My family knows mm-hmm. him. So Bill Fletcher. Bill Fletcher yes. is East Coast. Uh, and Bill Fletcher is, is – is, is, um, has a really unique uh, perspective to share. He's an attorney mm-hmm. by training. He's taught college level. He's been in the nonprofit world. He ran with with Trans. He ran Trans Africa, which is one of mm-hmm. the preeminent organizations, advocacy organizations uh, in the United States that do a lot of policy work around connecting all of us in the diaspora. Um, he he and Danny Glover did a lot of work together around Trans Africa, South Africa. So um, and plus he's a writer. He's he's also mm-hmm. very connected and worked with the union movement. Um, mm-hmm. And you don't find a lot of people of African de- descent that has rose to the top within the union movement and everything. So he brings a very unique perspective. Uh, and that was one of the reasons we selected him. He is a very humble person. Um, uh, you could be sitting beside him, uh, engaging him in conversation, and never know he's someone that accomplished all of this. And he's a fairly young man. I, I, I don't even, if he's 65, he just turned 65. But I don't think he's even that old and everything. So um, mm-hmm. we're just glad that he accepted our invitation and we'll be here talking and sharing uh, his perspective on different things and everything. So that's that. Bill is actually the only one I know on a personal level. Uh, I okay. am really, I am really looking forward to um, to Christine Brown uh, uh, getting to know her and 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 her writings and her work. Um, one of the members on our planning committee 
just finished up Minerva's book, and she said Minerva is hilarious, and she really looking oh, forward. Oh, nice. Minerva. <laughs> and in the process of getting to know Minerva, I found out she's a very active member of uh, a sorority. So her sorority mm-hmm. sisters, the AKAs, are going to wrap mm-hmm. her in love oh. when she comes to Sacramento. <laughs> Yeah, AKA are those are those the um uh the sisters that wear the red? No, they're the, the they're they're the pink and green ladies. I think oh, that the red or okay. the delta. The deltas, okay, yeah, because I was thinking about um God, I'm drawing a blank on her name. Um, the famous um she is, I guess she's one of, she's the founder of the um, National Con- uh, Council of Negro Women or one of the founders, oh, I, and she, well, I think I know, she dedicated uh, her whole life to. Yes, 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 uh, yeah. No, uh, I, I'm pretty sure the AKAs are pink and green, because I remember when okay. I see my friends when they dress up, they wear the pink and green and everything. So Minerva okay. is just, she's, I hear she's going to rock the house, because she's really funny, uh, <laughs> really good in, in terms of engaging folks. And then Isaac, um uh, is an educational consultant is is done like TED talks, and so I, I am mm-hmm. always uh, amazed at people who can do TED talks because you know you're standing there on stage by yourself, in many cases talking to up to ten to twenty thousand people. I don't know how people do that. I, I don't have mm-hmm. the skills to do that. I would love to be able to do that, and so I'm really looking forward to. Um, to, really, I'm looking forward to meeting all of them because they're fascinating people that they're able to, to – uh, what I'm always impressed with authors in general is that they're able to take their ideas and to conceptualize it and to birth it and put it on paper and then to, and to be able to tell their story in engaging ways. Um, I'm always fascinated by that in terms of how they're able – to do that and everything, uh, how they're able to mm-hmm. take a subject that could be, whether it's slavery, whether it's issues that are happening um, around immigration, subjects that are very painful, how they're able to take that and tell those stories, uh, or how people like John Lewis was able to create that graphic novel, because he wanted to make sure young people understood their history in order for them to function in today's world, in order for them to move forward uh, in the future and everything. I'm always fascinated. Uh, I have several mm-hmm. friends who are authors, and I always talk to them about, like I have one friend, she gets up early in the morning. She's now retired, but when she was working on her book, she was still working, so she would get, early, get up early in the morning, you know, like 4 o'clock in the morning, and, and spend two hours writing or editing and, and um she did it all by hand. She longhanded. And I asked her, why do you long, Why do you write it out by hand? She says, it just it flows better that way and, uh, and everything. And see, for me, I would start out just by typing. She said it doesn't flow for her when she's sitting at her computer typing, that she longhand, mm-hmm. she writes longhand. And then when she's in the editing stage, she then would go to the computer and uh, do it. And I have another friend, she longhands it. She likes the radio on. She likes jazz playing in the background. Uh, and the <laughs> mm-hmm. other friends along here, she doesn't like. She likes to be in a quiet room, and she writes and everything. So yeah, it's interesting how <laughs> authors 
yeah, you know, for me, I just had a radio on, TV on, and <laughs> and everything. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you do you have some books as well that you've completed? I have not completed a book. Uh, I've completed articles, but I have not mm-hmm. been able to find um, the talent. Like I talked about, how folks were able to take their ideas and turn it into a full fledged book. That's a, that's a mm-hmm. gift and a talent that I have not right. yet mastered. I want to master mm-hmm. it, but I have not yet mastered that and everything. It's 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 truly a talent, and um, and I have a lot of admiration for folks who who have that gift and talent. I call it it's truly storytelling, where they can they mm-hmm. can capture you where you just can't you just can't put the book down because it's so engaging, and uh, and everything. So that's really good. So yeah. Yeah. Ah, cool. Yeah, I wanted to um also mention um that uh one of your one of your featured uh, authors looking for his name. Oh, Ajamu Umi. He um he's an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party and um and he was on my show to talk about African Liberation Day, which is tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And in Oakland, uh, at Tasaranga, they're going to have a, a parade march. Um, before it starts, people can visit the uh, um, African Liberation Day uh, website to find out all the information. But yeah, he's going to be, uh, he's one of the uh, authors um, right. this so year. Um, it's so good. He and I go way back. Okay. So <laughs> when I say way back, like, yeah. So it's been really good to see Ajamu um, really use his activism to tell stories with his book. And um, mm-hmm. so yeah, so he used to be he. Matter of fact, he used to help organize African Liberation Day here locally in Sacramento. That's how I met Adamu, probably mm. some thirty years ago, uh, when when he was a young oh. student, a young uh-huh. student uh, at Sac State. He's originally from mm-hmm. the Bay Area. When he was a young student right. at Sac, and uh, reaching out to community members uh, to. Um, Ask for help to help help organize and get the word out about African Liberation Day and everything. So I'm really glad Ajamu is part of the Black Book Fair. Uh, he always supports mm-hmm. us, uh, even if he's not an author. He helps he helps send people who are authors. And one of the things mm-hmm. I like about Ajamu and a lot of other folks, he always refers people if they engage, when he engages folks and they even. Mm-hmm. Even remotely or interested in writing a book, he'll refer them to us because uh, Blue Nile Press, who's the, the, the primary sponsor of the book fair, it's a publishing company. Oh, it's one of Sacramento's okay. only black publishing companies, with the exception of the Sacramento mm. Observer. So what we do is we uh, help people publish books, but we also provide mm. uh, limited uh, technical assistance in terms of if people want to write their book or if the book is once published, uh, if they're mm-hmm. trying to market their book. So we provide them limited technical assistance. So Ajamu and other folks, uh, we provide them technical assistance on how to do that. You know, So if people are interested in self-publishing, we talk to them about the pros and cons of self-publishing, and we mm-hmm. talk to them about uh, the various ways they can publish their books in the various ways they can market their books and different mm. things. So, so the Blue Nile Press oh. has really been a, uh, a a really good positive resource 
for the community and everything. So it was founded by mm-hmm. Dr. David Coven, who's the founder of mm-hmm. the uh, Black Book Fair. He's a retired uh, government and ethnic studies uh, professor from Sac State, uh, who's mm-hmm. an author himself, who's written several books. And a lot of people don't realize, but Dr. Coven is one of the country's mm-hmm. uh, authorities on black Brazilians. In really? 2000, yes. In 2000, huh. Sacramento hosted an international Brazilian conference, and mm-hmm. he brought together um, from Brazil brothers and sisters who were activists and academics uh, here to mm-hmm. Sacramento. And mm-hmm. we were so fortunate at the time my do- at the time my daughter was like in her teens, so she got a chance to. And a lot of the uh, uh, people who came to participate, they brought their children. So she got a chance oh, nice. to engage because on TV, they mm. always present, portray Brazilians as not looking like people of African descent. Mm-hmm. So she got a chance to, to engage kids that look like her. She kept saying, but they look like me. I said, yeah, because they're, people in Brazil look like us. They don't mm-hmm. always look Latino. They don't always look Anglo. The vast majority mm-hmm. of the folks uh, the largest African population outside of uh, Africa is in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And so wow. she was able to see that and engage with the kids and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and everything. It was, it was really neat. Oh, wow, that is really awesome. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, because um, the, uh, the other artist that's uh, exhibiting with uh, M.G. Uh, Pamela, uh, she's... Um, She's Brazilian, and um, she was um, doing a residency here, but but she's not here anymore. So I didn't get a chance to meet her. Um, wow, wow, that's really interesting. So, so Dr. Um, Coven has written a book about Black Brazil. I'm trying to think. Let me see if I can pull up the name of his book. Uh, right. Yeah, it's yeah. Because it, I was looking, I went to the website and I was looking at. He's got a lot of books. Um, mm-hmm. Prince, Princes of the Road. Um, yeah. Wimbe's Corner, Seaside Stories, Prodigal for the Sake of Soul. Uh, no, that's no, that's not him. Um, and then, um, and yeah, and then he's got Raisins in Milk. Raisins in the Milk is his latest. Oh, okay. That is a wonderful book. It's a, I call mm. it a love story. And one of the reasons okay. I enjoyed it was because generally – you don't find a lot of books that talk about the love between a black man and a black woman and the trials mm-hmm. and tribulations that they had to go through. The book itself is set in the in the 20s. It goes through, mm-hmm. I want to say, the 40s. And I was mm-hmm. not prepared for how the story ended, but it was a beautiful story. It was a, And it mm-hmm. happened in Florida. And so, um, okay. yeah. And it, um, what I like about Dr. Colvin's book books is that he's a serious person uh, mm-hmm. as a professor and as a leader, and his books are oftentimes the complete opposite of him. So you see a, mm-hmm. a, a, a new dimension or a different dimension of the person. And so uh, also Adamu's books are many times are like that. So one of the mm-hmm. things about literature is that you, you see a different side of the person uh, because we all are multidimensional. Uh, as human mm-hmm. beings, sometimes we are not allowed to show our dimensions. Uh, we're not encouraged to show our dimensions. Uh, 
um, and mm-hmm. everything. So that's why I found it so fascinating. The artist that you had on before I came on is that through mm-hmm. her art, she's able to uh, tell her story and be multidimensional. And it's still a side of her that I'm sure we even don't know then and everything. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at the website for Blue Now Press, and uh, and it's really nice. Uh, and you are the publicist for Blue Now. And um, and you can actually um, submit manuscripts without an agent. I was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> so we, we ah, that's really it. great. Yeah, we'll tell you if that's something we can do. We are very, mm-hmm. very, very, very small group. You can, as you can see, the different names there. We're really mm-hmm. limited, yes. but we we will work with people and help them. That's when I say we provide limited technical assistance. We'll help them. Mm-hmm figure out the best way for them to get their, you know, their book published. Some people will need to go to a larger publishing company because if they, you know, mm-hmm. some people want to submit today and think they're going to get it turned around by the end of, by the end of June, that's not going to happen. If you, that's not going to happen even with the larger uh, publishing company, but that's definitely not going to mm-hmm. happen with now press because we're very small uh, publishing mm-hmm. company. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's really awesome. And I want to, I want to, I looked it up to see who I was trying to remember the name of. So, um, Mary McLeod Bethune um, oh, yeah. founded the uh, National Council of Negro Women um, in 1935. And then the, the first, uh, the person I was thinking about who um, is a Delta, I think, she, they wear red, if that's the Deltas, um, is, uh, is uh, Dorothy Height. And yeah. she served at the National, um, Council of Negro Women. She was the second president from 1957 to 97. She was really phenomenal. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And, just, and, and, and you know what? I don't even know where she found the energy or the. Uh, <laughs> she kept pushing on and kept pushing on and kept pushing on. And and just mm-hmm. think the organization that that she helped found and create is still going on today. We have. Right. I bet exactly. you every city. There's a in Sacramento, the National Council of Negro Women are a vital organization doing wonderful things. In Sacramento, they sponsor the annual Sweet Potato Festival. I think they just had the fifth, the, oh. the third annual one. Sweet Potato uh, Festival, nice. It happens every year in February. It's a wonderful oh. event. We we all mm-hmm. my family and I we always attend to have vendors mm-hmm. have lots of information and of course the delicious pies delicious right. cookies ooh one year they had <laughs> ice cream mm that sounds yummy yeah so it's 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 an organization I'm sure every city every major city has a National Council of Negro Women doing wonderful yes, things right. yeah yeah mm-hmm. right. Cool. Wow, it's been really wonderful speaking to you. So I was wondering if you can give our audience information about um, where, um, how they can um, find out more information about um, the um, um, the people's um, uh, poor people's campaign. Campaign. Poor people's <laughs> campaign. Right. Exactly. Okay. And Thank uh, you. Mm-hmm. so uh, we have a. a uh, I'm one of the co-chairs for the California Poor People's Campaign. And so we have mm-hmm. a Facebook page. It's called, just like our name sounds, the California Poor People's Campaign. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. uh, Sacramento has one. It's called uh, our Facebook page. is Poor People's Campaign, comma, Sacramento. The Bay Area has a Bay Area's Poor People's Campaign. So in almost every city, 
particularly every large city, there's a like L.A., there's a Poor People's Campaign in L.A., and because Los Angeles mm-hmm. is so large, there's like smaller cities, there's a there's a, 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 a organizing group in Pacoma, there's one in mm-hmm. San Diego. So if you just type in Poor People's Campaign and then the city, something should come up about what's going on. Okay. There, they may be named a little differently, like ours is Poor People's Campaign, comma, Sacramento. But if you go to mm-hmm. the California Poor People's Campaign Facebook page, you can then connect with all of us. And like I said, California's goal is to take 10, to take 40 um, uh, delegates to the Congress. And of those delegates, we want to take as many folks who are, we call impacted, who are poor, low-income, mm-hmm. Uh, to there, and so we're 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 raising money. You can go to the Facebook page to see how you can support that effort. Um, and if you can't support the effort, that's okay. But you can get involved in many different ways. And all. so we really appreciate you, Wanda, for allowing me to be here to talk about the book fair, to talk about the Poor People's Campaign, and and really help people to realize they have many different ways they can engage and get involved in their communities. And I think if people can find their niche, it all makes the world better for all of us. Certainly, certainly. Wow, wow. Well, you are doing so many wonderful, wonderful things, um, Miss Faye Wilson Kennedy. Wow, wow. Um, just really, really impressed. And um, and when I was reading your your um, your bio, um, I I was I was wondering what the parallel schools were. What that. Okay. What is okay. the parallel? And, and that, that's my last question with the Black Parallel School Board. What well, is the Black Parallel School Board? So, that's a great question. So the Black Parallel School Board, what happens is um, I am a product of Sacramento Unified School District, and mm-hmm. I graduated from high school. I'm not embarrassed to tell my age. I graduated from, from my local high school in 1973. So the same issues um, – that my parents were dealing with around the issue of trying to ensure that I had a good quality education are the same issues that parents, particularly parents of color, black and brown parents, are struggling with those same issues. So about 10 years ago, many of us were part of an organization called the Sacramento Area Black Caucus. And parents Mm -hmm. were coming to us uh, wanting us to help them with their children. We were literally being overwhelmed with uh, requests, and the caucus does does a multitude of different things. And so what came out of that organization saying, we need to create an organization that just deals with educational issues. So the Black Parallel School Board was formed some 10 years ago where we mm-hmm. engaged parents, primarily parents and students, uh, a little bit of uh, staff and faculty in one school district, Sacramento Unified School District, uh, where we engage them around how can we ensure that, that children of African descent receive a good quality mm-hmm. education. And so nice. we do anything from uh, in listening to parents, you know, as so I said, listening to parents, talking with parents, attending meetings with the parents. If they have an IEP meeting, if they have a parent-teacher conference meeting, uh, we, we do all of those things. So we started off very small as an organization where many of us were still working 
And many of us, in order to do those things, we had to take off from work to accompany the parents to, the, to, the, to their meetings with the school district members. We engaged school district personnel, whether it's the superintendent, the teacher, and principal. Um, uh, uh, so we're there to be the voice for parents. And right now in Sacramento, the Sacramento Unified School District, that particular district is in a financial crisis. It has a $36 million deficit, and we want to make sure that, that they don't balance the budget on the backs of our kids and families, as well as staff. Uh, because mm -hmm. research say black kids, black and brown kids learn uh, better when they are in the classroom with teachers that look like them, when they have administrators that look like them. And so we're engaging the district around, around uh, those particular issues. So that's why we were formed, and we work in parallel with the school district. We don't always agree with the school district on their um, issues. We don't always agree with the teachers' union on how they approach things. But we're there to stand. We want our kids to be able to graduate, to receive a good quality education. Right now, black kids are not graduating uh, in higher numbers. Uh, and even when they graduate, they're not able to uh, read and write uh, uh, based on their age. Um, uh, and, and if kids, if young people are not able to read and write by third grade, it's going to be hard for them as they um, move from grade to grade. And so um, those are some of the things that we are advocating for. Uh, we do workshops. Uh, we do um, uh, gatherings, talking to parents and communities, trying to find ways how we can um, address education. We do school supply drives. Uh, we want to make sure all kids go to school with school supplies. So for the past couple of years, we do school supply drives, and then we work with specific schools to make sure those schools have the school supplies. So when the kids come and they don't have school supplies, they have mm -hmm. some there. So those are some of the things. Right. Oh, that's really awesome. Yeah, um, people probably know that there was a big rally at the mm -hmm. state capitol this Wednesday um, around public education. Um, yeah, our our children and their teachers, um, people that are doing the work, are really being shortchanged um, in, in the public school system. I mean, it's just the teachers who have the most important job uh, of all jobs are – they're not taken care of. I mean, they, yeah, and they can't afford. I mean, they are homeless, you know, almost. I mean, they can't they can't afford to live in the cities where they teach because the cost of real estate, even to rent, is too is too outside of their their means because they make such a low wage. Um, and then the benefit packages that people like almost you know they sort of like have to sell their souls sometimes for a higher income, but then they don't have any benefits, which means that they have to pay for them. It's like crazy, some of the stories that, that we've learned about this just this week um, right. that have been going on for a long time, like right. a person who has um, uh, is recovering from, um, from cancer has to go to back to work because she has to pay her substitute teacher because she has no more leave, no more sick leave to be able to, I presume, um, be able to use. Yeah, it's like, wow, this is crazy. And it's all a vicious cycle. So if teachers mm -hmm. are not well paid, 
It's not just teaching. When people work low-wage jobs, period, mm-hmm. they're not going to yes. perform as well. Uh, and so mm-hmm. what we are trying to do is help people to see that we're all connected. We want teachers to be paid well because we want to encourage every. We want to encourage black and brown young people to become educators. You know, we mm-hmm. want them to be paid well. But then we want our kids to be taught by people who are paid well and who take pride mm-hmm. in their profession. So we are all, it's mm-hmm. all interconnected. And so one of the things that we did was we encouraged the teachers union and teachers to come to our meeting and hear firsthand what parents are saying and how they feel. Hear firsthand how particularly kids, young people who are in uh, junior high and high school, how they feel when they're in school. So a lot of people think they can flee and send their kids to charter schools, send their kids to private schools. You know, we all have to work together to solve the problem, how we're going to make sure public education is a winner for everyone because we all are going to suffer in the end and everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what we do with the Black Definitely. Oh, that's really great. Wow. Well, thank you for this really long, extended conversation. We just oh, covered a lot of terrain. This has been so wonderful. And invite me anytime if my schedule allow it. I'll be here. I'm always <laughs> able to rearrange my schedule, and I always I love it when you reach out to me. And thank you for always thinking about the work we're doing here locally in Sacramento and throughout Northern California and everything. Mm-hmm, thank yeah. you very much. Well, I definitely want to try to make it down to that party next Friday. It sounds like okay, it's going to be Okay, come on awesome. down. And it's free. <laughs> and, yeah, and what, it's time free. Do, what time does the opening, um, the opening uh, book festival? Yes. The opening reception starts at 6 p.m. at Underground Books in Historic yeah. Oak Park, and all that information is on our website. And just come on mm-hmm. down, folks. We'll love to have you. All right. Thank sure. You and much. give the website one more time. No problem. Back give the, the give the website one more time. Okay. And is there a phone number too? You you can reach us at area code nine one six four eight four thirty seven forty nine. Okay. Give it one more time. Area code nine one six four eight four thirty seven forty nine. Okay, cool. All righty. Well, super. Okay. Well, thank you so much, and have a good rest of the day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> and I want to um, announce a couple of other things uh, that are happening today. And um, uh, one is um, I wanted to actually play the interview again, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but you can go back and, and listen to our, our broadcast on May Fifteenth to speak to listen to Sangria Red talk about what she has planned tonight uh, at Oakland Soul Black Mother and Jazz. It starts at six thirty this evening. Donations are um, fifteen to fifty dollars sliding scale, and uh, it's a part of the um, the Bay Area Sex Worker Film Festival and Arts. F- San Francisco Bay Area Sex Worker Film and Arts Festival, and uh, and it's going to be really wonderful. And you can visit the website sexworkerfest.com for more information. And you can get tickets for uh, this wonderful uh, journey with Sandria Red, who is going to transport the audience back to a 1930s New Orleans juke joint for an evening of erotic stories pre-biblical. 
<laughs> so there's going to be storytelling, music, and food this evening, Friday, May 24th, 2019, 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. at Oakland Soul, 1236 23rd Avenue. Again, 1236 23rd Avenue in Oakland. And again, um, you can go to sexworkerfest.com or get tickets at blackmother.eventbrite.com. It's going to be really wonderful. And, and the Sex Worker Festival is um, going through next week. So um, really, really great films and uh, and programming connected to um, to this particular industry. And we had a wonderful conversation with the uh, founder, uh, Carol Lee, if I'm remembering correct, <laughs> I kept on calling her by the wrong name, and and Javelin um, uh, Richard, who is a programmer on a KPFA uh, radio show. And what else is happening? I also want to let folks know that the um, uh, the um, Alternatives to Violence uh, project is having a a conference this weekend. It kicks off tonight at Mills College. Um, let me see if I can find those details. Alternatives to Violence, <laughs> which is a really wonderful program um, that is is actually global, and uh, it it actually looks at um, how how we can transform power and uh, and choose alternatives to. Um, um, if you know, choose alternative um, methods to de-escalate um, a potential uh, confrontation. And so, the um, 2019 AVP U.S. National Gathering is again today, tonight. It kicks off May 24th through May 27th, and there are pre and post gathering workshops. And you can go to the website avpusa.org forward slash conferences and uh, this particular conference embracing each other transformation into wholeness is again at um, Mills College in East Oakland and there is actually housing there and there are limited scholarships um, I don't know if, if if they're still doing that but you can uh, for questions you can go to visit not go visit but you can email conference at av PUSA.org, and so um, there are a lot of different tracks. There's going to be uh, a youth track, um, and uh, and it's going to be really awesome. I'm looking forward to. It. I'm going. <laughs> and what else is happening this weekend? Oh, I went on to mention the um, um, the San Francisco Art International Arts Festival. It kicks off. Um, I'm not sure if it's kicking off. Let me look and see. I'm tapping around to see. Um, <laughs> oh, Sister Act. Oh, you don't want to miss Sister Act at Theater Rhinoceros. It's at the Sheldon Theater in San Francisco. It goes through uh, June. <laughs> June. Uh, it goes through June 2nd, I believe. We had a really, really great conversation with um, uh, principal artists. Um, and and the director, we had an interview on Wednesday with uh, <laughs> I'm looking through my notes. <laughs> we had an interview with uh, uh, 
Tammy, Tammy L. Hall, who was the music director, um, AJ, what's AJ's last name? Um, uh, AJ Mitchell, who is the uh, director and choreographer for this phenomenal production. And, uh, and we had an interview with um, the wonderful um, actor who played, who portrayed, um, uh, Dolores um, uh, Van Cartier, uh, Brandon Noel Thomas, awesome, awesome. Um, Oak Leonard, uh, who now lives in Las Vegas, went to Oakland School of the Arts. Just phenomenal, phenomenal actor. Just, ooh, yeah, you're gonna just love, love the work and the way that this particular uh, production was re. Uh, was was re was was cast and revisioned by um, by the director and um, AJ and by the cast in the cast agreement is it'll add another layer to the experience. So again, you can get tickets by going to the Rhino dot org or um, calling eight hundred one eight hundred eight three eight three zero zero six. And again, it's at the Gateway Theater through June 1st. And there, there's some matinees. There's a matinee tomorrow, I think. And um, and they have a Tuesday performance this coming week, Tuesday evening. But you don't want to miss it. It is really, really awesome. And Theater Rhinoceros is the, is the longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender theater anywhere in the country, probably in the world. And they really know how to do their... Um, do these musicals, <laughs> and this one here is really, really awesome. So the San Francisco International Arts Festival, let me give you those details. Um, I had a really great conversation uh, with um, the founder, founding director, and um, some of the artists last week. Yeah, it's May 23rd, so it opened yesterday, and it goes through June 2nd, and the and the uh, theme is The Path to Democracy, and I had a really great interview with uh, Andrew Wood and uh, some other folks um, last week, and if you want to listen to that interview, you can listen to last Friday's show um, to, to find out more information, and we're going to play the interview with um, uh, uh, Abdul uh, Kenyatta, who's going to be hosting uh, the Speakeasy on the on the 31st, I think it's going to be like 930. Um, and again, everything is happening at Fort Mason Center, which um, where all of the big programming, the classes are going to happen elsewhere and um, and some of the other types of gatherings. But the programming, the, the, the performances are going to be happening um, uh, at the Fort Mason Center. So I think, and don't forget African Liberation Day um, in Oakland tomorrow. Um, that's going to be really awesome. And if I can find those details quickly before my time runs out, I will give that to you. And in the meantime, I think I'll play a song. <laughs> um, yeah, let's see. What am I going to play? Um, let's see. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was something I was thinking about, but um, 
Hmm. Let's see. Let me just um, <laughs> let me look for this African Liberation Day information for you. African Liberation Day. Oh, here we go. Um, let's see if I have all the details here. Yeah, okay, because I wanted to give you the location. Yeah, African Liberation Day, 12 to 5 tomorrow at the Tasafaranga Center, 975 85th Avenue. People are asked to wear white. Um, for information, you can call 510-388-4022. And folks are going to gather a little earlier for the for the uh, the march through the community, Mr. Fab is the featured guest. He's the founder of Dope Era, Bay Area iconic rap veteran whose contributions formed an integral part in shaping the region's sound for well over a decade. Mr. Fab is one of the entertainment industry's most colorful and motivational figures, and he remains committed to his founding principle of philanthropy. Another invited guest include. Um, uh, American Indian Movement West, Arab Resource and Organizing Center, Haiti Action Committee, Irish International Republican, Socialist, the Socialist Network, and uh, Anak Bayan and Gabriela. And entertainment is going to um, be with Kujishagalia and Val Sarant and Candace Antique. And supporters and sponsors include Eastside Arts Alliance and Effect Real Effect. Um, throughout the Community College District, City of Oakland, Culture Arts, and East Oakland, something or another. I can't read the bottom of the flyer. But it's going to be really nice, and I am not going to be there. So, yeah, if you want to let me know what happened, that would be really super. Send me some pictures because I'm going to be at the uh, Alternatives to Violence Conference, and so I'm going to have to miss that, and I'm really sad about that. Um, So we are going to... Close with Ubuntu um, by Desert Rose. All righty. Peace and blessings, everybody. Hey, hey. 